Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. And as is our daily want, we have a look at the uh, morning papers. Cork assault rates rise is the echo front page. It's a worrying trend. John Bohan reporting that Chief Superintendent Con Cadigan has described the recent increase in assaults uh, in all three Garda divisions in Cork as a worrying trend. There have been significant increases in both assaults causing harm and minor assaults in Cork City, the Cork North Division and the Cork West Division. Uh, That's according to Garda figures for the period from January to April 2020. And the figures for minor assaults in the Cork North Division increased from 104 uh, in January to April 22 to 120 uh, in the same period this year. April 21, I beg your pardon, to 120 uh, in the same period this year. So up there as well. Uh, The Echo also has four Cork towns awaiting approval for uh, affordable housing developments and key bus bus services relocated. Roisin Burke picking on a story we've uh, picking up on a story we've been covering here since last week, but um, it doesn't look like they're for turning anyway. It looks as though, and and to be fair, with the uh, with the plans supplied to us yesterday and making social media, uh, it does seem like a, a very nice plan. Whether it's going to be functional is the next thing. But the bus stops of four commercial bus operators are to remain on St. Patrick's Quay, while other services are to be moved to other bays in the city centre at the end of the month. The area is being upgraded as part of the McCurtain Street Public Transport Improvement Scheme, and the coach parking area on St. Patrick's Quay is being permanently vacated from May 23rd to May 27th to enable construction of the improvement works. There will be new coach facilities for Cork Connects, Cove Connects, Cronin's coaches, BGM coaches. Uh, They'll be on St. Patrick's Quay east of Mary Elms Bridge with Air Coach and Go Bus on the Lord Landmire Road. And that's not down towards the uh, the Skew Bridge or anything. Uh, That's opposite Moody Cafe. So not too far away. Um, um, uh, Dublin Coach, West Cork Connects and other services will move to Anderson's Quay, also not too far away. CityLink, Kilmala Coaches and Paddy Wagon will avail of the existing bus stop in McCurtain Street. And a spokesperson for Cork City Council said there is insufficient space available on St. Patrick's Quay to accommodate the current and growing demand for coach parking facilities, as well as the development of much-needed facilities for coach passengers and facilities for other road users. To uh, electricity and households are to pay a €250 more for electricity, and or they are paying than the uh, EU average, the Irish Indo. Today, Charlie Weston reporting that households in this country are paying €250 Euros on average more for their electricity uh, than the EU average. Electricity prices in Ireland are 26% above the EU average and are the fourth most expensive in the EU block. The mail houses selling for 9% more than the guide price. Nearly three times more landlords sold their properties than invested in the rental market in the first quarter of this year. And new research has found in a report by Sherry Fitzgerald, estate agents warned the uh, continued exodus of landlords and depletion of stock is likely to continue to stoke rental inflation in the near term. And I'm going to be speaking to uh, Sinn Féin's uh, housing spokesperson, Ono Brin, uh, in a few minutes' time. Now, housing crisis is also on the front of the, uh, sorry, inside uh, the mirror today. Uh, The housing crisis has reached new dire levels. 
Government needs to take new radical measures now. The housing crisis reaching a new and even more dire level, uh, reports the Mirror today. Homeless figures return to pre-pandemic levels with nearly 10,000 households in homeless services, including 2,600 children. It was all about the homeless. And then it was all about COVID. And then it was all about Brexit. Sorry, it was all about Brexit before COVID. Uh, and then COVID, and now it's Ukraine, necessarily. Uh, but the homeless situation has not gone away. Rents have reached staggering new highs. The average monthly rent in Dublin now over €2,000. And evictions once again on the increase if landlords say they are selling their property. And a lot of them uh, think they've no other option but to sell. Santina was in deep coma, not able to cry. The uh, very sad front page of The Sun today, toddler Santina Cawley suffered so many head injuries she could not cry out her murder trial has heard assistant state pathologist Dr Margaret Bolster said the child suffered a serious traumatic brain injury that would have resulted in a deep coma and uh, the mirror has a little girl suffered forcefully inflicted injuries a murder trial heard yesterday Santina Coley who was just two when she died in 2019 sustained brain trauma an upper spinal cord as well as polytrauma and lower limb injuries due to blunt force trauma. Uh, Karen Harrington, 38, of Lakelands Crescent and Mahon Cork, denies she murdered her. The child was found with critical injuries at 26 Elderwood Park in Boring Manor Road in the early hours of July 5th and later died in hospital. And to keep up with the uh, ongoing elements of the case, we'll speak to the uh, Irish Times Southern correspondent, uh, Barry Roach, tomorrow. Uh, in the Echo, some readers may find the following content upsetting, uh, and that's also about uh, Dr. Margaret Bolster, the pathologist to examine the body of two-year-old Santina Cawley, believing the natures and extent of uh, injuries to the child, including bruises all over her body and a fractured skull, were inflicted by force rather than as a result of an accident. It makes very difficult reading. The Irish Times today uh, reported 16,000 elder abuse cases in five years are the tip of the iceberg. Safeguarding groups says the HSC figures do not cover abuse in nursing homes and hospitals. The Irish pub needs UNESCO protection, says the uh, Mail today. Uh, the Irish pubs need to be protected under the UNESCO list of intangible cultural heritage to stop them being overtaken by new hotels and buildings, architect and presenter Roisin Murphy has said. And on a light-hearted end, Del Boy's van is creme de mont. The van and only fools and horses has been voted the world's greatest on-screen vehicle. Del Boy and Rodney's tatty, yellow, three-wheeled reliant beat a string of much-loved TV and movie motors. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang from the 1968 classic and the time-travelling DeLorean from 1985 flick Back to the Future were joined second. James Bond's Aston Martin DB5, which first appeared in 1964's Goldfinger, came fourth. Kit, remember the talking car? Knight Rider from the 80s uh, was fifth. Herbie, remember? That was our favourite growing up. Herbie, the Volkswagen Beetle in the original 1977 movie. Of course, it was done again by Lindsay Lohan uh, in a more recent um, incarnation, but the movie Herbie goes to Monte Carlo, came sixth on that car, number 54, wasn't it? Even the in-betweeners clapped out Fiat Cinquecento made the top ten. Aidan Rushby from car financing app Carmula, uh, which did the poll, said on-screen cars have stolen our hearts as much as the characters. But number one, creme de Mont, is the tatty, three-wheeled Robin Reliant from Only Fools and Horses, Dell and Rodney's van. You're listening to the number one talk show in Cork, The Neil Prenderville Show. It's the best in Cork. On Red FM. And I'm joined by Owen O'Brien, Sinn Féin spokesman on uh, housing. Good morning to you, Owen. Good morning to you. 
Now, um, before we get on to uh, what we're really here to talk about, and that's the housing crisis and social housing, can we have a, just have a look at the political landscape, if you don't mind? Is it Sinn Féin's lot? You didn't run enough uh, candidates in the Irish general election when the support would have been there for you. Uh, and now that you did run enough and you're the biggest party in the north of Ireland, it doesn't seem like there'll be an assembly uh, for anyone to oppose because the DUP are not going to appoint or nominate uh, a deputy first minister. Where does that leave you? Well, obviously, our view is is uh, we want to see the assembly established as quickly as possible. Uh, the DUP outlined their position yesterday, but I, I'm not convinced that they're going to be able to stay out of the assembly uh, as long as some people think. Uh, all of the opinion polling data in the run-up to the election showed a majority of both nationalist and unionist voters, as well as those who who have s- described themselves as others, wanting the assembly up and running and dealing with the crucial issues uh, affecting people, uh, the cost of living crisis, the crisis in our health system, and another. Pre- bread and butter issues. We have £300 million that needs to be spent supporting families and businesses tackle that cost of living crisis and that can't be spent until the Assembly is up and running. So look, the DUP outlined their position yesterday. Uh, our view is that is a mistake. Uh, the issues related to the protocol are matters between the, the British government and Westminster and the European Union. Uh, obviously, we and, and the Irish government want to be helpful in addressing you know, any finessing or fine-tuning of that protocol, but we shouldn't be holding the people of the north of our Ireland to ransom uh, while those negotiations between Westminster and Brussels are ongoing. Mm-hmm. Isn't it the considered opinion of Geoffrey Donaldson and the DUP though, uh, and I know it's not your position that a partition or a hard border would ever be brought back onto this small island, uh, but that the, uh, the partition as they see it of the Irish Sea is just not tenable for them? Well, what's interesting is, uh, despite some initial teething problems, which were really caused by Brexit rather than the protocol, and of course the DUP uh, were the leading pro-Brexit force in the referendum in the north, but most of those have been resolved. And if you talk to business people uh, in the north of Ireland, again, whether they're from the unionist community, the nationalist community or, or other, they actually see the protocol as giving them the best of both worlds, access both to the UK market as well as to the south and, and the single market in the European Union. Uh, and that's a very enviable position uh, uh, for businesses to be in. Uh, and while uh, uh, you know there was uh, some level of posturing by the DUP, sharing platforms with loyalist paramilitaries and others uh, in small rallies in the lead up to the selection, in fact, those parties that did best, both ourselves and particularly the Alliance, were those parties that had a very positive message that want the Assembly to, to be re-established. Geoffrey Donaldson didn't lose any seats to the TUV. He lost seats uh, uh, to the Alliance uh, and elsewhere. Uh, and therefore, I do think a time is going to come where unionist politicians realise that what the overwhelming majority of people in the North want is in the first instance a functioning Assembly uh, delivering for the people uh, on the ground uh, on those key issues. And like I say, if there are concerns around uh, the protocol and its functioning, they have to be dealt with at an intergovernmental level. The, the Assembly isn't involved directly in those negotiations. Yeah. Just, just um, a couple so of observations before we move on to housing. Uh, it, it looks as though the people of Northern Ireland uh, have stopped the ad nauseum voting for their darkest fears uh, or to protect against their darkest fears, uh, darkest fears and are now looking towards uh, you know, their brightest hopes. Well, again, what, what, what all of my experience, and as you know, I lived up there and was elected there for, for many years and I was up canvassing during the election, is, is what the overwhelming majority of people want is change. They want things to improve. They want their lives to get better. Um, and for me, one of the really interesting things of this election, of course, is, is you do have the very historic uh, uh, change where uh, uh, nationalists in this 
case, uh, Michelle O'Neill, the, the leader of Sinn Féin, uh, uh, received the largest mandate in terms of being the first nationalist first minister in, in the history of the northern state. But also, crucially, unionism no longer has a majority. Uh, and there's a growing number of people who don't, in the first instance, describe themselves as nationalist or unionist. That doesn't mean they don't care about the constitutional future of the north of Ireland. And I think that actually presents nationalists and Republicans who ultimately want a, a border a poll, uh, that we have a large number of people who we now have to start trying to convince that the best way to tackle some of those very, very pressing issues is actually in an all-Ireland context rather than in a, a, a UK context. And that's what referendums are all about, is about preparing, but also persuading people of the merits of your argument. And, and I certainly look forward to that challenge in the years ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, let's hope that the people of Northern Ireland who are really, really voting to be governed uh, don't have to wait the full six months, the three or four intervening weeks, uh, on, until a new election is called and then has to be called. We're going to be looking at the end of the year of January if this has to go to uh, another election, which won't solve anything and it won't take away nope. the, the protocol issue. I, I agree with you completely. And again, there is nothing uh, uh, in the way, there are no barriers within uh, the powers that are, are, are controlled by Stormont for us not to set up an executive now, for us not to agree a programme for government to pass a budget and, for example, start releasing that 300, 330 million pounds to hard-pressed families and businesses and to invest the extra 1 billion pounds in tackling the impact of Tory austerity on our health system. Those things can be done now. And clearly, those uh, parties that have issues with the protocol, they can then raise them in parallel from the executive and the assembly floor uh, uh, with the British government of Westminster and the Irish government in, in Dublin. That is the sensible thing to do. That's what the majority of people want. And I think any party that delays the restoration of the assembly and the executive uh, will, whenever there's a, another election in the future, be poorly, be badly punished. Yeah, OK. Now, we're here to talk about mainly housing. Uh, thank you for that political perspective. You have commented on the government's affordable housing targets, uh, which you obtained in response to a parliamentary question uh, and you say the targets up to 2026 in your eyes are truly depressing yeah and I, I have to say I think anybody who listens to the figures I'm now going to give you particularly in Cork City and County will agree so as you know we have a huge affordability uh, crisis right across the country Cork City and County are, are no different uh, in the last year house prices in Cork have gone up at least 4% it's now about 320,000 is the average asking price but in many cases it's higher than that and out in the county the, the annual increase was 12% and some of that is people from the city being forced out to the county to buy because they can't get anything affordable within the city boundaries key to tackling the affordability crisis of course is the government's affordable housing fund it's money to local authorities to build and sell uh, really good quality uh, homes at genuinely affordable prices the, the first of these I think are in Bohoboy in Cork as yet unsold but I, I got a, a parliamentary question back last week that says that over the next five years from this year to 2026 Cork City is only going to get 378 affordable homes to this fund that's an average of 76 affordable homes a year in the county it's even worse they're only going to get 189 genuinely affordable homes delivered uh, to purchase through local authorities uh, uh, over those five years. That's just 38 a year. And unfortunately, it's not just the picture in Cork. When you look right across the uh, the state, only 18 of our 31 local authorities are getting this funding. Uh, and the, the targets for genuine affordable housing delivery are paltry. And what this says to me is, for all their talk of, of being the party of home ownership, Fianna Fáil are not serious about delivering genuinely affordable homes for working people to buy and in the absence of that house prices are going to continue to rise uh, because we know the private sector currently isn't able to deliver houses uh, at the kinds of prices that people uh, uh, on uh, modest and above modest incomes can genuinely afford.
support. But isn't it the case that uh, young people and those on low to medium income are being discriminated against by the system? The bans, if you like. Uh, people are considering it's much easier for me to get a house now through the state than it is going to be for me to ever save or ever get on the property ladder. Um, but when they're on low to medium income, they find themselves removed from housing lists entirely, even if their income increases slightly. Yeah, so I mean, the first thing to, to remind people is the average waiting time to get a council house, if you are below the income threshold, is 10 years. And in some local authorities, it's 12 to 13 years. So there's no quick route into housing, the social housing waiting lists. But first of all, you're absolutely right. The income thresholds are too low. Uh, they were last set in 2011. And we're actually seeing families uh, who are five to, to eight years on the list losing their list position because they marginally go over the income thresholds, either because they got a little bit of extra income or some overtime, etc. Um, but, but what's also the case is for almost a decade, successive governments have been promising major investment in, in the delivery of affordable rental and affordable purchase accommodation for that very large cohort of people who will never be eligible for social housing, even if we raise the thresholds. But governments haven't matched their promises with direct capital investment and, and delivery. Uh, and because of that, there's that huge cohort, predominantly first-time buyers, but they're not all first-time buyers. We have a lot of people, including in, in, in among your own listenership, who are in their 40s, 50s and early 60s. They might have lost a family home because of relationship breakdown or divorce. Uh, they might just never have been married, never owned a home, or they might have lost a home during the Celtic Tiger. They're now living uh, in the private rental sector and looking at the future when they hit pension age and they're on an occupational pension too high to be eligible for social housing or HAP, but not high enough to be able to afford market rents. And there's a very large cohort of them as well. And, and the solution is, is very, very clear. We need about 4,000 affordable purchase homes every year and another 4,000 affordable rental homes every year delivered to local authorities, approved housing bodies and community housing trusts. That is the, the scale of ambition that is required. And instead, government is only going to give us this year uh, about 550 affordable purchase homes, about six or 700 affordable rental. They might reach a couple of thousand next year and it'll be 2025 or 2026 before they reach their targets of, of two or 3,000. That is nowhere close to enough. And you know the state can, can do all of the, the, the supports and grant aids for the private sector at once. But the one thing it can control directly is directly direct capital investment into our local authorities to deliver these homes. And how does anybody in government think giving the people of Cork City only 76 affordable purchase homes on average a year from now till 2026 is an adequate response to the affordability crisis. How does anybody think giving the good people of Cork County only 38 affordable purchase homes on average every year till 2026 is an adequate response? And you mentioned homelessness just in the, in the, the, the media review before I came on. The latest figures uh, for homelessness in Cork, it's the city and county, is 474 uh, adults and children. That is the highest figure on record. It's higher than even the high point of September 2019. And this is the city of the Taoiseach of the country. And yet we're not having an adequate response, whether increased investment in social housing, affordable rental or affordable purchase. And because of that, I'm very fearful things will get worse. Uh, this evening in the Dáil, Sinn Féin has a private member's motion on affordable purchase homes and we're setting out what a government needs to do to deliver those 4,000 affordable purchase homes each year, significant increase in capital investment in our local authorities approved housing bodies, allowing all local authorities access uh, 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 the affordable housing fund and scrapping those schemes such as the so-called help to buy and the shared equity loan that simply push up house prices and divert money to people who don't need it rather than exactly the types of first-time buyers 
or others you mentioned at the outset of this interview. Yeah, are we inexorably moving towards the Parisian model where people will never aspire to owning a house and will be consigned to renting for all of their lives? Well, we shouldn't be. Um, and there's no reason why that's where we have to go. The crucial point about government policy is government shouldn't tell people whether they should rent or buy. That should be a decision uh, of single people and of couples and of families. Government's job is to ensure whether it's social housing provision, affordable rental, affordable purchase, uh, or the regulation of, of the private market, that there is a choice for people. And the best way for government to do that is, one, increase investment in social housing because our levels of homelessness and social housing waiting lists are far too long, but also significantly increase investment in affordable purchase and affordable rental homes. And if government were to do that on the kind of scale that the ESRI has recommended, that the NESC has recommended, that the housing agency has recommended, and that I and Sinn Féin and my colleagues in Cork City and County have been calling for for years, then people would have that choice, the choice whether to rent at a point in time if that suits their needs, to buy at an affordable price if that's what they want, or if they don't have sufficient income to rent or buy either affordably or in the market, they have a good access to good quality uh, social housing uh, as well. Uh, these are things that were done in the past, they should be done now and into the future, uh, but it's a matter of political will. It's a matter of political priorities. Uh, you know, government can, can uh, uh, respond whether it was to the financial crisis of the banking institutions when Micheál Martin was last in government with massive bailouts or indeed, more appropriately uh, as the last government did to COVID in terms of the wage subsidy scheme and the pandemic unemployment payment. We have a housing crisis as big if not bigger uh, than the COVID uh, crisis and the recession. Government needs to step up to the plate, direct the capital investment to the local authorities and approved housing bodies and deliver the 20 thousand public homes annually that we meet social affordable rental and affordable purchase okay now ironically and i say ironically with the benefit of hindsight and if i'm if i'm remembering correctly it was a Fine Gael government under under cosgrave uh that built the most social housing ever in this country i think they delivered thirty-five thousand. but are we now uh, wrongly would you think like richard boyd barrett would say uh, wrongly relying on private developers to deliver social and affordable housing which doesn't become affordable and just freezes out the first time buyer yeah, so w w one of the problems we have at the minute is if you look at what was delivered last year in t terms of new build social housing, government had a target of 9,500 new build social homes across the state. They only delivered 5,202 of those, 45% below target. Uh, uh, but only 1,000 of those 5,000 were directly delivered by our local authorities. The rest were either what we call turnkeys, buying off the plans from a, a private developer, part fives, your 10% in, in a private development, or some public-private partnerships. Now, I'm not against turnkeys. Uh, I think we should be using far more turnkeys but also for affordable rental and purchase that would let the first time buyer and other uh, uh, affordable purchase applicants get in. But I also think our local authorities need to be delivering more and I mean I did a tour recently around the country meeting housing managers and local authorities including some of the folks in Cork City and what they tell me and I have no reason to disbelieve them is government imposes, central government imposes far too much red tape and bureaucracy which slows down the delivery uh, of those homes where the local authority is the developer and therefore if we want our local authorities to be delivering far more social and affordable homes directly on their own land, we need to cut away a lot of that red tape. Yes, control the expenditure. Uh, I'm not arguing that we're flahulock about it. Uh, but there is no reason why we should impose the level of bureaucracy that we do on our local authorities in delivering good quality homes. They did it in the past and they should be doing it now and into the future. So I'm not arguing against turnkeys, although I would like to see more of them used for affordable rental and purchase. But if we're going to move from about eight, nine thousand public homes a year, which is what the current government is delivering, to the twenty thousand social and affordable homes a year that we need on average over the next five years. Local authorities have to be developing far more themselves, uh -huh. 
directly. That begs, uh, that begs the question. We, we have a state health service, we have a state transport service, etc., etc. Do we now need a state building company uh, that councils can start to use this state nationwide building company uh, to house the 120,000 families or so on the lists? So I, I'm not adverse to having a, a state building company, um, but but it's not a silver bullet. Uh, so, for example, in the first instance, what I'd like to see is the local authorities in Cork City and County and Kerry and, and, and the surrounding in the southwest, for example, be given increased targets, increased budgets. And there's a lot of local small and medium-sized builders down there who charge a very reasonable price for the job. They employ local labour from the county and the city and let them get off and build. Yes, there is absolutely a role uh, for a state construction company, and not just in building but also in the manufacturing of a, a low-carbon, zero-carbon new building technology, something we're going to have to do if we're going to meet our, our emissions reductions targets. But while we're setting that up, the most immediate thing we need is double the capital investment to Cork City and County, double the targets for social affordable housing delivery, ensure that all of the homes deliver, particularly the affordable purchase and the affordable rental, are genuinely affordable. But nobody can justify those appallingly low targets that are read at the start. To 76 affordable purchase homes a year in Cork City, 38 affordable purchase homes in Cork County each year over the next five years. That really is a shocking indictment of government's lack of ambition and lack of understanding of the scale of the affordable housing crisis. We need thousands and thousands and thousands of these homes. The local authorities are up for the job if we give them the funding and cut the red tape. There are still plenty of SME builders out there who can't take the risk to be developers, but would build all day long if they have a five-year program of work with the local authorities. And there are lots and lots of people, first-time buyers, but also those who lost the home uh, through relationship breakdown or repossession at a later stage in their life, who would purchase homes if they could be delivered at genuinely affordable prices, 160, 180, 200, 220,000. No reason that can't be done now. Okay, you're playing very well, obviously, to the, to the electorate. I know, Owner Bryn, you've only got a few minutes left and I won't hold you over time. Uh, but I've, you know, I've said to Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael ministers and TDs on this programme, uh, isn't your raise on debt that you will coalesce at whatever cost to keep Sinn Féin out of government? What would you do that's different now? And where, where's the affordability for Sinn Féin's massive housing plan? Yeah, so the, the first thing is government has access to the capital. We still have access to very low uh, 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 borrowing, whether it's exchequer borrowing to the Housing Finance Agency, the European Investment Bank. And there is significant exchequer revenue. And that's even with the inflation that's currently in the construction sector. What we need is to give every local authority a five-year uh, 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 capital budget, finance that in advance, give them the targets to deliver those homes uh, and drive that through. And uh, come the next general election, uh, um, this government will be judged above everything else on whether they fail or succeed on housing. Uh, and if they continue with the failed policies that Daryl O'Brien and Micheál Martin have in the current plan, unfortunately the housing crisis is going to get worse. What would a Sinn Féin minister do? Double capital investment to local authorities and improved housing bodies. Double the targets to 20,000 social affordable homes a year and make it as easy as possible for local authorities, approved housing bodies and community housing trust to deliver those homes year on year. That's not even going to end the housing crisis but it will make a significant dent in it. Meanwhile, greater action uh, uh, to reduce uh, levels of homelessness. I met with Cork Simon recently, as well as Katrina and Penny Dinners, and they made it clear homelessness isn't just an issue in Dublin, it's an issue in Cork and the surrounding counties. Far greater action on prevention, far greater action on housing first to get people out of emergency accommodation. But the key is if government isn't investing the money in the public housing uh, to meet social affordable housing need, the crisis isn't going to get any better. That's the key difference the Sinn Féin government and Minister for Housing would make. Okay. Okay, and as, uh, as a 
possible future Minister for Housing, would you be, which would be unheard of up to now, would you be available to the general public, say, every six months to say, here, here are my key performance indicators, as you'd have to in any private business. Here's where we're ahead. Here's where we're behind. We're going to get there in five years to, to where we promised we'd be. There's no politician ever subscribes to that ideal. Uh, absolutely, and I'll, I'll go two steps further than that because uh, unlike the current Minister for Housing who uh, won't come into the Oireachtas Housing Committee to, to be held to account, I, I would also give the commitment not only to make myself available to the public, whether on the ground, in your radio station, but also to the Oireachtas Housing Committee. But the second thing is, ministers need to be honest. So you can have the best plan in the world and you can go into implementing the plan with a genuine belief that it's going to improve things. But where a policy doesn't work, where you actually try it and it doesn't achieve its objective, we need housing ministers of the future, whether that's me or anybody else, to be honest and say, we've tried that idea, it isn't working, let's shift to something else. Instead, we have ministers at the moment telling us things are moving in the right direction. I mean, again, I go back to the homeless figures for, for Cork City, the worst in recent recorded memory. And yet, uh, I had a debate with Dara Bryan about these figures, and in fact, I had an exchange with Michal Martin, specifically about the figures in Cork last week, and he said his housing plan is working. House prices in Cork have risen dramatically since Michal Martin became Taoiseach, so have rents, so have levels of homelessness. Social housing output is anemic, virtually no affordable housing delivered in two years. Uh, and yet these people are telling us things are, are on, on an upward trajectory. Anybody listening to your program experiencing housing need or stress knows that's not the case. So yes, absolutely, I'll make myself available to the public as often as possible. But also, if I do have the great privilege to be the Minister for Housing, I will be honest with people. And where policies Sinn Féin believe uh, uh, will make a difference, turn out not to make a difference. I hope that doesn't happen. But if it does, we'll be honest, we'll be upfront, uh, and we recalibrate and redirect our efforts. Because what people need right now is very, very large volumes of social, affordable rental and affordable purchase homes. That is the only thing that's going to make a difference. And that's not what's been delivered by this Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, Green Party government. OK. Ola Bryn, I know you have a meeting in a few minutes' time. There's one final question. It comes from a listener which is quite good. Uh, Northern Ireland has a state-owned building company. The Northern Ireland Housing Executive Council houses after five years, you can buy the house from the executive and your five years rent paid comes off the price of the house, which is sold to you at a reasonable price. That money is then used to build more houses. Is that a model you would uh, replicate here in, in the South? Unfortunately, that's no longer the way the Northern Ireland Housing Executive, as it's called, works. Uh, in fact, successive Westminster government policies have prevented the housing executive from delivering new homes. Uh, thankfully, Sinn Féin finally has the Minister for Communities that looks after the housing executive uh, and Deirdre Harg is instituting a major reform to enable uh, uh, the housing uh, executive to borrow and start building large volumes of homes. They're also looking at, for the first time, uh, affordable rental, something that hadn't been part of the debate there. So what Deirdre is doing in the North is similar to what we're doing now, uh, or arguing for now in the South increased capital investment into public authorities, the housing executive in the north, local authorities in the south, to deliver much larger volumes of homes. Uh, tenant purchase has actually been suspended in the north, uh, and the reason why is because the levels of housing stock were getting perilously low because of failure to invest from Westminster, uh, and therefore there's a pause being put at the moment on, on tenant purchase while we get the social housing stock back up to a level it needs to be at. Uh, but ultimately, uh, uh, where tenant purchase properties are sold, that money should of course be ring-fenced for future uh, social housing housing provision. But also, we should never allow tenant purchased homes to be sold into the private sector. Uh, if people want to sell those homes, they should have to sell them back to the local authority uh, at the future discounted rate so they can be returned to the social housing Okay, stock. Uh, We're all learning a little this morning from you, Owner Ben, including Des, our listeners. So thank you. Can, nobody can uh, accuse you of not being in command of your topic. Uh, Ono Bryn, uh, spokesperson of Housing Fish and Fame, thank you very much for joining us on the Neil Prenderville Show this morning. Anytime. Thank Cheers. You. Thanks. Bye-bye. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. 
text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Cork's Red FM. And a very busy programme this morning, including having singer-songwriter Don Meskel join us uh, after 11 o'clock, between 11 o'clock and 12. Now, Offer CEO and uh, founder Robert Hoban has worked in the Irish property sector for two decades, specialising in the sale of commercial and residential properties. Over the course of his career, he's overseen the exchange of more than 6,000 Irish properties, uh, 30% of which were traded online. And he joins us on line three. Good morning to you, Robert. Good morning. Okay, what does Offer actually offer? <laughs> yeah, it's a, a transparent offer tool so that estate agents can use it so buyers can quickly place offers and see other offers that are on property um, and you know submit their own offer, upload proof of funds, photo ID. So it sort of it, it, it boils the long, complex process of a property transaction down to something that's short, digital, and ultimately very transparent. We're all about bringing transparency into what is a very sort of opaque area of life. Okay, so 20,000 offers have now been made using Offer, which is O-F-F-R, by the way, uh, by 15,000 registered and approved buyers. So this has uh, the technology, I suppose, in play, uh, so that if uh, if you're buying a place, say, for 100 grand, hypothetically, and uh, the auctioneer rings and says, oh, we have an offer of 110, you don't know is that 110 genuine or not. Correct, and this has been a, a huge issue uh, of, of distrust and annoyance and frustration for, for buyers, sellers, and, and even agents alike, is that, you know, for, for decades, for over a century, you know, the process has remained unchanged. So while every other facet of our life has transformed utterly, banking, insurance, travel, retail, property, real estate has remained totally unchanged, you know, paper, opaque, all that sort of thing. So. You're right. You know, uh, we did a survey before we launched Offer and over 50% of, of respondents said that they have no trust or faith in the property buying process. Um, and there are estate agents genuinely trying to you know, put a deal together, but nobody believes them. Whenever they say we have another offer, someone has come back. There's a high, every time someone places an offer, magically there's another one higher than them. And I've had so many people tell me over the years, you know, I've been working in the industry for 20 years, say they, they pulled out of deals. They pulled out of, they walked away from their dream home because they didn't trust the process, not necessarily because it was too dear or anything like that. Mm. I mean, that's a terrible reason not to, to go for your, your, your dream property. But aren't so, we casting aspersions here over an industry, the vast majority of people who work in it are fastidious and upstanding and honest? Correct. And this is the great irony, or you might say the massive gap between perception and reality. So if you talk to any sort of normal, any, any you know person on the street who's been through a process, they'll all say, oh, you know, state agents will make up offers, fake bids, fake offers, that type of stuff. But actually, and I know from, as I say, being an agent for 20 years, you know, 99.999% of the time, it's always legitimate, it's genuine, because there are so many buyers, there's so much demand out there that there are offers coming in. But it creates so much stress and distrust that, you know, you've got this big, big uh, gap between perception and reality. But it does mean that sales break down. You know, one in three agreed deals at the moment in Ireland fall through. Mm -hmm. So after a sale agreed, uh, 33% of them never actually go through. I mean, can you imagine the amount of time and cost and effort and stress that that creates for everybody involved? Everybody, including the auctioneers. Exactly, because the estate agent doesn't get paid until the deal closes. So it's not in the agent's interest to drag things out, you know, or or try to, you know, kind of queer the pitch, as they say, because, um, 
you know, they just want the deal closed. They want a happy vendor. They also want a happy buyer. They want the buyer to come to them when they have a property to sell because, you know, every buyer is a seller at the end of the day also, um, or in most cases. So, um, yeah, so what we came up with was a solution whereby uh, there's a little button that sits on the estate agent's website on all the properties. And if you're passing by a property and you see a sale board, you can scan the QR code and immediately on your phone, while you're in front of the property, it'll tell you what offers are on that property. Wow. How many, how many offers, are, what's the highest offer, where it's at. Um, and, um, and the estate agents are very embracing of this because if you that, think about it... it that's my next question. Are, are, are they welcoming of your technology? Yeah, very much so. I mean, we've over 100 companies now uh, actively using it um, up and down the country from small independent agents in, in small villages and country parishes up to some of the big brands in the cities. Because if you ring an estate agent, estate agent will typically, you know, happily tell you what's going on with the property. You know, they'll say to you, oh, we have, you know, we have an offer of the asking at the moment or just above or just below. But there's no way of really verifying that. But also there's an additional problem. And, uh, Unfortunately, buyers also tell fibs. So, you know, a buyer wants their offer to be considered above everyone else's. So they'll often say they're a cash buyer when they're not, or that they have the money or that their property is sold when it's not. And a state agent has no way of verifying that in any sort of kind of efficient manner. You know, you know there's so, much, so many inquiries now, so many people placing offers on property. There's no way an estate agent is going to be able to ask every single person to email evidence, proof of funds, sure. you know, before, before looking at the offers. And that's what technology so, allows, because I, I imagine, because the estate agent is going to be obviously working on the side of the, he wants to get a happy buyer, but he's trying to get the best price because his commission is based on it, or her commission is based on it, for the seller. Correct. But if he squeezes an extra 10 or 20 grand out of Joe Soap, it's only going to be 100 or 200 quid at his 1, 1.5%. Whereas if he sold three houses in that time, uh, in, in the same allotted time, then he'd make a lot more commission. Exactly, yes. And a lot of people don't fully appreciate that the, the estate agent is representing legally, you know, and, 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 and ethically representing the seller. That's who's paying the estate agent's fees. So they're obliged to get, you know, the best possible price, but within a reasonable time frame. You know, most sellers aren't saying, well, look, I'm happy to, you know, wait two years for my property to go up in value. They just want to get whatever's the best price now in the current market. But the, 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 the what we're... If they're watching and seeing with technology, the agents are saying to us, it's fantastic because we let, we let the buyers take control, shall we say, of the bidding and the, and the offer process. So let the market do its work. So, for example, you have to photograph and upload your, your ID and your proof of funds, and then you'll get very quickly approved as a registered buyer, and now you can submit submit an offer on a property. But it means that if someone else submits an offer, even if it's you know, lunchtime on Sunday when offices are closed, the other people will immediately get an email saying a new offer is in for the following amount. Would you like to just stay on your own offer or would you like to, to increase your offer? So there's full kind of transparency, but also real-time notifications. It's no longer 9 to 5, Monday to Friday. Yeah. And, we, and we look back over the, the 20,000 offers and over 40% of them were placed in the evenings and over the weekends. And as long as you have a legitimate offer on a property, even if you don't want to up it, uh, you know, a higher offer comes in. Is there a moral, if not legal, obligation on the process to keep you informed? Uh, no. So even though there is regulation and there is a regulator, the regulator regulates certain things like an estate agent must keep a record of every offer, but that can be manually written into a book or whatever it yeah. is. It, 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 doesn't, it, it doesn't necessarily 
confirm and verify each offer. We actually verify each offer and each buyer independently of the agent. So the agent is able to say to their customers, look, this is independently verified. It's all legit. And we keep a full record of everything, dated and timestamped. So if there ever is a dispute or an allegation or a challenge, we can produce the logs to show it was all legitimate. This was a person, you know, uh, IP address, the, the, uh, the ID was legitimate, proof of funds was legitimate. And that's a massive difference to just taking someone's word for it over the phone. And are you pitching this, Robert Hoban, to be, um, you know, an ancillary service provided to the nation's auctioneers? Or, or have you designs on being, you know, a bona fide auctioneer yourself with this process as your foundation? No, no, I'm, 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 I'm finished in the auctioneering game. <laughs> um, we're much more interested in providing a platform um, so that we're working with the industry, but we're also working with industries outside of Ireland. So it's launched in the UK, it's launched in, in Africa, down in Cape Town. Um, we're talking to a number of companies in the US that are going to start to use it shortly and a few uh, continental countries as well. So we, we work with the industry because the industry is ultimately... Global. The, the perf- yeah, and, but ultimately they're the professionals advising the clients. You know, we don't value the property. We don't, you know, advise when's the best time of the of the year to bring the property to the market. You know, we don't show the properties or get involved, but we do automate you know, 80 to 90% of all of the manual tasks, the paperwork, the the bidding process, the reporting, the communications. So instead of an estate agent having to make 100 phone calls and send 100 emails every day to update people on what's going on with properties, new viewing times, new offers, that's completely automated. So there can be never any dropped calls or forgot to do this or didn't get time. Because this is another major issue that was reported by buyers, particularly when it's busy is that they'll say, listen, I I put an offer in on a property two weeks went by, I never heard anything back. I rang the estate agent and the estate agent said, you know, it's sold, it's gone to someone else. And the buyer will say, well, why didn't you ring me back? You know, and the estate agent says, look, I'm just so busy, I can't ring everyone back Mm, every single time. Does it differentiate between someone who's able to get a mortgage or who has has cash in hand? No, so what it'll do is it will allow people to submit offers, but there's full transparency around the financial... Um, capacity of that person. So, for example, you can have someone submit an offer that's subject to mortgage um, and possibly subject to the sale of their own property. So they're not excluded. They're still able to submit an offer and they may submit X amount. But you might also have somebody who has further advanced. So maybe they've secured their loan approval. Maybe their property is contracts exchanged and their offer is Y with those um, important background. So then the estate agent working with the vendor can make an informed decision around which offer to go with. It doesn't necessarily have to be the highest offer. That's the key thing. It's I not see. like an auction where it has to sell to the highest bidder. It can sell to the best overall package, right? So the offer amount is important, but then, you know, how quick can somebody close? How many other conditions are attached? Is it subject to other conditions such as, you know, planning changes or, you know, you know, dividing the garden from the, the house or, you know, random things that could be unique to a particular property. Yeah. People do, do place conditions on offers. Okay, Robert, now, um, I kind of have to leave it yeah. there, but um, yeah. you know, they say the best ideas are the simplest ones, and anything that can ease the stress in the house purchasing process, not just in Ireland, but globally, and maybe you have, I know you have global aspirations now, this can be franchised possibly across the world, and does give that bona fide element, uh, and does take away from the time-consuming uh, phone calls and emails that the, uh, the agents are making. So um, it, it, it seems like it's a win-win. There's no downside here, really, is there? 
Well, hopefully. I suppose everything has to be paid for. So the estate agents pay us a license fee for the, for the technology, and it's free for the, the, the end user, the buyer and the seller to use. So, you know, we work with the agents around, obviously, providing it at a, at a fair price. Um, but it, a big thing for us is also shortening the time. So in Ireland, on average, from a property going live to completing is about seven months which is, you know, ridiculous. Um, but we're getting that down to about three months now at the moment, which is, which is a, a big area of, of focus for us. Okay, fair enough. Are you employing many people or are there uh, plans to expand? Yeah, we've got um, 17 employees at the moment based in, in, in Ireland and, uh, and the UK. Um, um, and our Irish employees are in, in Cork, uh, Wexford, Dublin, Wicklow spread around. Um, so yeah, we're, we have a, a representative down in Cape Town, and we also have um, a couple people coming on board in the states. So we're we're sort of trying to to grow and scale as much as we can, like okay. like all good Irish startups. It's fascinating. Well done. It seems like a win-win for everybody, and I wish you all the very best with it. Robert Hoban, founder of Offer, which is O F F R dot I O, if I'm correct. That's wonderful. Yeah, thank all you right. so much. Thanks, Robert. Good morning. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106, Red FM. 5 to 10, good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. We'll get to some uh, texts. We've had dozens, if not hundreds, of texts on the bus situation and the movement from uh, St. Patrick's Quay. Hi, Mick, good to hear you back on the air again. The city councillors that want to change the bus location from Patrick's Quay probably never took these air coaches, Cove Connect or Westcourt Connect. Why not make the bus station parallel place for all buses if managed correctly? Hi, Mick, my 73-year-old mother-in-law lives on her own and it can be lonely. Cove Connect allows her to walk 100 metres from her house, get on the bus, go to the Key in Cork, walk into the city, do her messages, etc., and walk across the bridge and then get the bus to 100 metres again from her house. This is what I believe public transport should be, not walking to Lord Landmire Road. Also, my 17-year-old uses the service. Uh, uh, I want. Do I want her walking down dodgy roads uh, to get on rather than the city centre? This is a ridiculous decision. Uh, we'll just get people back in their car, uh, said Rob. Get more flights out of Cork, says another texture. We won't need the buses. You might tell the councillor bus services that the airport bus is outside the Clayton Hotel. There's no signage. It's crazy. And the expressway is brilliant, except two pin plugs. <laughs> two pin plugs on expressway. I know there's a few, maybe not on every seat. On the air coach, there are three pin plugs. Uh, also remember that where buses are at the moment, passengers can just go across the footbridge and they're at the bus terminal uh, if they need to get another bus to go on somewhere. Well, at Anderson's Key, you'd probably be closer, to be fair. Hi, lads and ladies. I have the perfect location for the buses, Union Quay from the lobby to the School of Music could be dedicated to this service while keeping the buses near the centre and on the network of roads needed. Uh, very close, of course, to the uh, the Ring Road and the Link Road. A second pick-up point somewhere else would reduce traffic in any one location. But uh, I hope the council get it right, says Billy M. Galway has the new coach station and it's right in the centre of the city. It's 100 metres from Bus Aaron and the train station depot. It's a wonderful private depot. Even Dublin don't have such a facility. The 7 million euro footbridge that links the bus station uh, and Terminal 3, that's the Mary Elms Bridge. Now the bridge is a wee takeaway uh, and uh, make a 20-foot wide pavement. Uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I don't know what you mean by is a wee, uh, is a wee ta- is in wee takeaway. Uh, okay, just tuned in, but on the buses in Patrick's Key, I think it's crazy what's going on there now. I can't understand why it's the private buses cannot use the actual bus station. And one more. Cork City Council is responsible for all the mess in the city centre. Uh, those biscuit eaters in the city hall, uh, they're always here to upset the public with these stupid ideas. Patrick's Key was safer for both passengers 
and those dropping off at any time. Total madness within City Hall, says Richard. To be fair, if you look at the plan, it does make a certain modicum of sense. News at 10 is next. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie. And you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench, every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. And Cork's Tyg Hickey joins me on line two. Good morning, Tyg. Hi, Nick. How's it going, boy? Very How good. Oh, you're bouncy. You're bouncy. You're ready to go You're ready to go live again after struggling with your... great form. Yeah, you struggled with form. your mental health, Tyg. Let's get straight to it. You did. <laughs> oh, no. Straight to the bad stuff. <laughs> yeah, um... No, I'm kind of coming out of it now, you know, like I, uh, I, maybe some people might know who follow my stuff that I'm in a recovery from alcoholism um, and that's what my show is about, that I'm touring at the moment and uh, I, I think I just took my eye off the ball there before Christmas, I was overworking and uh, yeah, I think work became another kind of addiction for a little while to be honest with you, I think it's a, it's a silent one, like people don't really talk about it that much, there's kind of support groups for every other addiction um, but I think with work people are like it's almost like to be lauded, you know, like you see headlines of people saying, oh, he's a workaholic or she's a workaholic for a play tour. Um, and yeah, I stopped doing all the things that were good for me, really. But um, I'm delighted to report that I'm in great form now and I'm kind of doing the things that work for me and like, you know, seeing other people and stop not being so obsessed and going for a walk and eating right and all the basic stuff, you know. Good stuff. And getting back to work, I suppose. Yeah, it's a big yeah. part of it. Getting back to work, but not overworking, I suppose. But for exactly. a lot of people on Lee side and beyond, Tyke, one of the few positive memories of the two long years of restrictions and COVID-19, which were hard enough, uh, will be the comedy and social media videos of the likes of yourself and uh, and Pat Fitz, Reggie, and that kind of thing. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Well, he's a legend. I just went to see him in The Everyman there for, the, for his first live performance, I think. like Yeah, big ambitious 14 stage. nights. Yeah, and like a packed every man to go do your first. I mean, like he, you should really start off doing stand up in a tiny little room upstairs somewhere, like as opposed to the every man. But uh, no, he's an absolute gentleman as well. He deserves every bit of it. Well, that's a lovely thing to say. Thank you, like yeah. And the nicest thing about our job, I suppose, is when someone gets onto you and says, you know, I was going through a tough time there, and that's it. Like not even in terms of the video having any social cause at all, but just that it literally just made someone laugh. Like I, I can get that a little bit and. It really is the best thing about your job that you m- you might have made somebody's day maybe that tiny little bit easier or that morning a little bit easier and stuff. So that's uh. a privilege like to be doing that. Yeah. Okay. How would you characterize a breakdown? Yeah, like I I think as well with the breakdown thing that uh, it's it's always seen as this. You know, like I feel like when we were growing up in Cork, like you know, long ago, if someone had a break, you know, he or she had a breakdown like it's kind of don't go near them like they might do something crazy to you do you know that type, type of way like I think we're just we're a bit ignorant about it like but for me a breakdown is you're not able to function so that's the way I found that there like after Christmas I wasn't really you know I didn't feel like getting up and doing stuff My enth- like I'd be naturally positive enthusiastic person I suppose my enthusiasm was totally gone I wasn't sleeping right and I just kind of broke down like in a way a car would break down or something you know so and then you just need to find out why it is, and then you kind of go and hopefully fix yourself with the help yeah. of other people. So, so, so not necessarily this, a traumatic experience, but maybe a fully lethargic experience where you know something, I'm not getting out of bed. You know something, I'm going to eat all day long. You know something, I'm going to eat chocolate and watch telly. You know something, I couldn't be arsed going out. Um, yeah, like, it, it is unpleasant, though. You know, I'm not trying to downplay it, like, for people that have been through it. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm not making light of it. It's just that it doesn't have to be seen as this kind of completely negative thing, like... Do you know, there's this philosopher who um, 
describes it as a breakthrough rather than a, uh, than a breakdown. And I love that because usually what I find anyway, when I come out the other side of these events, and I think people in recovery will, will hopefully identify with this, that uh, you go through a bit of a pain barrier, you come out the other side, but you're not depleted actually. You're, 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 I think you're in a better position because you've kind of learned something about yourself. You've learned something about the way the world works like, and yeah, you're kind of coming out a bit fighting fit, and that's the way I feel at the moment. I, I kind of, I, I kind of welcome uh, the, the bad stuff at times because you know there's a bit of growth in it. Now, when I'm in an awful lot of pain, of course, I don't welcome it. I want, want it to go away, like, you know, like everyone else. But, uh, but yeah, I just think, as, you know, without getting too, I don't know, like pretentious here, like I just think as a society, we need to kind of look at, you know, the, the stigma around the kind of breakdown stuff because everyone goes through them. Like, just not everyone's talking about it, but it, literally everyone goes through it. Okay, when and how did you discover you were an alcoholic? Um, there was no discovery, really. <laughs> like I was uh, a realization then. Yeah, like no, and I'm not making light of your question. It's that like it didn't really develop. It's that like when I was a young fella, my drinking was different completely. Like straight away, I think the first night I drank, I felt like I lit up. I was drinking cans out the out the lock for June a certain night, and uh, I felt like I, I I became a superhero. In fact, I'm writing a show about that idea at the moment that I became the superhero called Catman. Um, and uh, see anything to yeah, underpants, and, uh, man. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, except he's got a can in his hand. And at the start, you love that uh, it's making you feel different to your friends. But then, very soon, it's apparent that well, they're all still going to school, they're all still going to work, they're still able to do the things they want to do. And I just wasn't able to really like drink is such an obsession if you're an alcoholic that you don't even realise it, but you're thinking about it all the time. You're either thinking about going back on it, you're thinking about the session you had last night. You're thinking about the recovery, and then as it gets later and darker, you're thinking about all the people that you've let down, and you're thinking about ringing in sick, etc., etc. So it's a lifelong obsession and a full-time job. So I kind of knew that when I was 18. Like, I didn't drink during my leaving start because I knew that my drinking was problematic at that age. So, yeah, throughout the rest of my life, it was like, I'll go off for a while so I can do a bit of college, or I can look after my daughter, or I can whatever, but I'd always have to go off it. I think people who have a normal relationship with drink aren't really on and off it the whole time. Like, mm-hmm. that was the first alarm bell for me, you know. <laughs> yeah, now, I'm not making light of your situation, but just something came to my head. You, As soon as you hang up the phone here, Tyke, you should copyright that name because I can see now a great future for the Cork superhero. Gat man. Man, it's going to be uh, my next show, hopefully. Like, so this is great now that you're into it. Like, this time next year, have a look out for it. It's going to be on a poster. Like, oh, and make light all you want. It's... Uh, you got to laugh. That's my way of getting through pretty much everything I've ever gone through in my life. Like, just, just laugh it out. Yeah, okay. Now, of course, as you say, you can become dependent and addicted to other things, like Twitter and the dopamine yeah. hits you get from, from getting Twitter hits and, and follows and that kind of thing and retweets. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's, to- it's a total other addiction. Like, I always feel with with Twitter particularly, it's this kind of Faustian pact. Like, you you know, it's, it's been very good to me. Your numbers are kind of flying and the people interacting with you and offering your work and stuff. But then the trade-off for that is that you're on it a lot, your head is on this little screen, and the world is kind of going by around you, and Twitter becomes your world. And then, of course, you're getting into these spats with people, and, you know, like, uh, the best thing to do when somebody's giving you hassle is to ignore it. And I know that, like, in my heart, I know that, but it's just very tempting if someone's saying something stupid, like, and you want to correct them because you think that you know better. And sure, of course, I often mm-hmm. don't. Then you end up in this to-and-fro with somebody, and suddenly five hours is gone. And you're told, your energy is that and you're wondering why you're feeling terrible. Do you know, like, that's that's the Twitter trade-off. But I think, like, most people are kind of semi-addicted to 
social media. I mean, that's what that's how social media works. Like they're trying to get you hooked on it so that they can show you more ads. Like it's not it's not rocket science. They don't have any new info on it. Like that's how the system works. I remember growing but, up watching, um, watching Star Trek, which there was always a moral. Um, kind of yeah. a, a moral ending. So you, you, you'd always, it's like a parable. You know, there's always a meaning at the end. Uh, but watching the, the the away team beaming down to a planet and having this little item in their hand where they could diagnose their health and contact people and and doors that opened when you walked in front of them and, and look, it all came true. But can, can I concentrate <laughs> yeah. for a moment on on the burnout thing, or maybe people are feeling a bit lethargic and heading into kind of a mini burnout, or whatever yeah. language you want to use. It's obviously it's encroaching on on their mental health as well. Um, you don't really need to find a counsellor. You you can engage in a, in a degree of self care. Now I know you've got a degree in philosophy, so you're probably able to talk to yourself. What would you advise people, uh, you know, who are feeling that bit lethargic, maybe burned out from work, maybe concentrating too much on one thing or another? Well, yeah, th- there's there's so much that you that you can do for yourself. I mean, like I suppose the solution for me it might be different for for someone else. But I think the big thing about it is just to recognise it. Like I did this video talking about how I'd experienced. Uh, yeah, effectively burn. I think I used burnout in the video, and the amount of people that got onto me, um, privately, obviously saying that they were going through the same thing. They're working in all sorts of fields, and some of them in high profile fields in media and stuff, saying that they've gone through the same thing. But interestingly, they they didn't feel comfortable. Um, talking about it, you know, which I, I thought was mad because it feels like everyone has gone through burnout, really, that I know. But it, but it seems that there is still that kind of stigma, you know, that they just don't want to kind of come out and say it. But anyway, to get back to the question you actually asked me, I I think like, yeah, like sometimes counselling would work. Um, but then things like, you know, exercising worked very well for me. I took up yoga there recently. I'm banging on about yoga to anyone who listened to me. I'm kind of one of those fellas who just took up yoga and now I'm an expert on it. You know, I can tell you anything about it. Like, like, a, um, like a recent <laughs> smoker. Yeah. Uh, he's only a reformed like, fella. <laughs> my favourite move so far is the one where you're laying down. Do you know the one where you're laying down at the end? I love that. Like, that's great. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, eating, eating a bit better... The main thing as well is like, this, the, the main thing that I find is uh, connecting with other people. Because when you're in an addiction or an obsession, it's just you and either the substance or this activity. And for me, like the blinds would be shut and I'm walking away on my laptop and it's just me and the world. To get out of that is just to connect with other people. See if somebody else around you either wants to hang out or they might need something done. Um, and I'm not trying to make myself to be a great person here. No, this is just the stuff that I do to get me out of my own head and I usually feel better than when I'm kind of hopefully trying to help someone else you yeah, know? So, it's so a diff- it's a different getting out of your head these days exactly yeah it's a, pr- it's, a, it's a productive one Like, and to stay out of the spats as well either online or in real life conflict kind of situations it never does me any good really I, I kind of get energised by it at the start but then in the middle of it I'm like oh look we're all just trying our best here like just leave them off you know that kind of thing like I find yeah. that useful anyway as the Beatles said let it be I think one of the biggest mistakes that interview- interviewers make when, when when talking to people who are comedic uh, or, or, you know, are meant to be funny is, uh, go on, go on, tell us a joke. Go on, go on, do something funny, go on. So you, you're, there's obviously a very powerful message to your show, but it's it's going to be a little lighthearted as well. What sort of comedy is it? Is it observational oh, yeah. humour or oh, like, I mean, I'd, I'd still like to think that it's mostly funny, you know, where sometimes people are crying at the show and there's, there's really nothing they can do about that, you know, because I can't really force them to react one way or the other. But basically the conceit is that there's this lad called Fergal, Right, because I'm just kind of scared to do my own story as myself, so I create a character. He's called Fergal. He's had an awful life. All his family are alcoholics. 
He's appear, apparently very lonely, but he's in brilliant form. So that's the kind of conceit. Like, he comes out, he's in great form, but he's very enthusiastic about life. His friends are like E.T. and a cardboard cutout of Sonia Sullivan up in the attic. Um, so he's got a complete, like, Walter Mitty kind of fantasy life of the alcoholic. So there's loads of laughs um, in kind of describing that world. But then in the midst of it as well, you're kind of learning about his alcohol journey, maybe where he's ended up. And there's a kind of reconciliation with his mother as well. So it's kind of poignant, but uh, it's mostly funny. Like on a good night, like I was in Derry the other night there and people laughed the whole way through until the end, then a few of them were crying. And I mean, that's ideal if you can get people laughing and crying. Really job done, like. Yeah, that's uh, visiting all of your emotions. A happy anniversary, by the way. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I was seven years not, not drinking and drugging there um, yesterday. Yeah, so yeah. Fabulous. It was, it was good. Thank you, man. Cheers. So re- recovery is always possible. Uh, of course, the 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 big thing here is to get bums on seats. You've got a new show, In One Eye, Out the Other, uh, a yeah. darkly humorous take on addiction, starting next Thursday. Um, you, well, you did start in Dublin, Smock Alley, but it's coming to uh, Cork's Everyman Theatre on the 3rd yes. of June. Tickets available at the box office? Yes, so it's, uh, this, I'm going to do England as well next the week after next, and I come back from England for the ho- homecoming gigs in the Everyman then. So it's, yeah, Thursday the 2nd. Friday the 3rd of June and you can get the tickets on everymancork.com or tykiki.com for all the details and I'd love to see a big Cork crowd there I actually haven't done it really properly in Cork before I did it outdoors in Lisbon Fort last year for a one-off which was gorgeous but I haven't done the show in Cork yet and I've done Dublin about four or five times so it's yeah, it's time to come home Mick Now I'm just about to ask our listeners right uh, and yeah. you, you can give us a call on uh, oh no it's not three tickets uh, 0818 <laughs> if you want <laughs> if, you, if you were ever or recently mistaken for somebody else now, oh yeah so let me ask you who were you recently mistaken for well Mick right as a man I think who will understand this like I think this is all down to baldism to be honest with you right but I will tell you that I was mistaken for um, Stephen Donnelly there recently I came out of Smock Alley and there was a maternity hospital uh, protest going on and I walked out <laughs> now Look, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not casting any aspersions over the man's looks, but I don't feel we do look alike, except that we're both. Well, I would describe myself as balding. Um, I think it's fair enough to say that man is bald. But anyway, I walked out of Smock Alley, and this woman kind of go, uh, goes, uh, "Oh, here he comes! Ah, oh, look, you know. <laughs> yeah." Yeah, I don't think she's from Cork, but if she was from Cork, that's it. No, she was just about to give me hell, like. And uh, so I was like, sure, look, I'm not Stephen Donnelly at all. You know what I mean? So Stephen Donnelly, I get Ray Darcy. I don't mind Ray Darcy, actually, because I think he was kind of good looking enough in, in his day. And uh, a lad from Bross. I get a lad from Bross as well, which oh, I love yeah, that. Just looking at, you know? I'm, I'm just looking at the Stephen Donnelly picture. Now, he's got a heavier sort of a, the facial hair. Oh, man, it's harsh, like, I think it's a yeah. little harsh. I take Ray Darcy all day. Like, but, yeah, there's a little but, like, bit my of My big um, thing, anyways, an, another big taboo, I think, in society is baldism. I think we're just allowed really criticise the bald. I think it's wrong. I think it's unfair. And I think we need to do something about it, make the two of us. You could be walking around here and uh, you could be mistaken for Stevie G. There's a little bit of Rory O'Hagan or Head of Sport in news oh, there as well. Uh, I take Stevie yeah. G all day, but like, you know, you're just giving me more bald men there, I think, yeah. Uh, I, I remember the, a very nice interview with, uh, with Graham Norton, with Sir Patrick Stewart, uh, in which he was, uh, you know, saying how... Uh, Hollywood was 100% against an older, balder man being the captain of the Starship Enterprise. Uh, and of course, he revolutionised the role. And he said, I was walking across the square in London one day, very quiet, and I passed a man, and he turned around uh, and called me back to look at him. Uh, and he said, Sir Patrick, Sir Patrick. 
And uh, I turned around and he said, yes. I said, and he, he doffed his cap, took off his cap and bowed. And he said, on behalf of bald men everywhere, Sir Patrick, thank you. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Best of luck, uh, everyman. Second and third uh, of June. Ty Kiki, it's been refreshing, and um, I'll let the people of Cork decide if you look like our health minister or not. Thank you, my friend. Oh, hang on one second. I, I've just got a oh, word what? in my ear. To, uh, just, just, ha- just hang on a second. One of your friends, I'm told, is on line one. Sorry for the. Uh, oops, no, he's not on line one. Uh, there's a friend of yours uh, who looks like apparent. Apparently, looks like Conor McGregor. And he's not on line one. Do you know who that is now? Um, I would say Connor Murray, Murray. is it? <laughs> Connor Murray, sorry. Who is it? Connor Murray, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just assumed it would be Laura Manny. Like, anytime I'm on radio, she usually rings in, so Red FM's own, like. We'll, we'll find out. We'll find out. Ty Kiki, best of luck. Thanks a million. <laughs> Pleasure, boy. Cheers, thanks for your thanks. time. Bye, Take bye, care. Bye. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. 25 past 10. Mick Mulcahy in for Neil Prenderville, who returns on uh, next Monday morning after a well-deserved break. We have Paula on line three. Good morning, Paula. Good morning. Now, you're 27 years of age with a three-year-old boy, and you've been living uh, in your aunt and uncle's house in Farnery since your son yeah. was born. Yeah. What's that been like? Um... Um, well, it's fine, but um, see, the council rang yesterday and they told me that I'm not supposed to be here. They rang my aunt, sorry. They told, they told her that I'm not supposed to be there. Now, they knew I was actually there for the last three years because I've told them myself. And I have tried to put my name down on the rent book and they said it was too overcrowded. So that was impossible. They couldn't put me down. Um, I've also tried to declare myself as homeless inside the city council and they told me that I needed to have an address to declare myself as homeless. Okay, let, let, let's explore anything. those two things, if, if we can, Paula. What's the advantage yeah. of being on the rent book? What would that do for you? Um, well, if I was able to get put on the rent book, I'd actually be able to get myself back on the, um, the housing list. Okay. And I'd actually be able to go out rent, well, try to rent. I know things are kind of impossible to rent these days because the prices are outrageous but I'd be able to get on the the, the housing list at least. I was actually on it before for six years and the, the council took me off it because I didn't have an address. So when you say rent book, does that mean um, go on the rent book for your aunt and uncle's house or onto yeah. a general rent register? Um, both. Like, I'd be registered in the, um, the council to be living here so... Okay, is the house overcrowded? Um, well, there's seven of us living here all together. Okay. Three bedroom house. Okay. So where does that leave you? You've been trying to get on the housing list. Um, oh, like I'm, I'm, I'm literally stuck. Like I'm, I, I can't do anything. I'm stuck where I am. I can't go out renting because I'm not going to get accepted. Perhaps because I'm not on the housing list. I'm not going to get offered a, a council home because I'm not on the housing list. I, I can't do nothing. I'm literally stuck where I am. So you're in limbo land. You don't have an address. You're not on the rent list. No, I can't. I'm literally stuck. I, I, I don't know what to do. Like. So you went apparently onto the list when you turned 18. Um, as soon as I turned 18, I was living in Riverview. It's a home for girls uh, with nowhere else to go because I grew up in foster care. And okay. I went on the list uh, as soon as I turned 18 and I was on the list for six years and they took it off me then because I didn't have an address because I was bouncing from place to place. Okay. 
And that was six years later. So then you were taken into yeah. care, you, you know, before this you were taken I into was, care when you were 15. Yeah. yeah, I was taken into care when I was 15. My mother was sick. She yeah, your, your mother was sick. No, it, was, it was nothing that you were doing yourself. You weren't being uh, Oh, no, my mum was sick. So. Yeah. No, Jesus, I'm very quiet. Like, I don't, I don't be out drinking or partying or anything like I'm. I'm a mum, like yeah, yeah, but she, and and you can't declare yourself homeless because you you technically have somewhere to stay. Well, yeah, which is a complete joke because if I had an address, then I wouldn't exactly be homeless. And the reason I went in there is because I don't have an address because I I am homeless. Like, okay, the other uh, the, the other uh, option is uh, I suppose to bring your son into Edel House. That's not something you want to do. That's no, that's not an option for me. Like if it was if it was just myself, I'd go in just to get it over with. But I don't want to be bringing my son into that kind of a world. Like, yeah, now I know you seem to that the system seems to be failing you here. And that you might feel you're falling between the cracks of all of the bureaucracy, uh, and that you oh, might feel abs- absolutely lost. But what can you to be do? Honest, I feel like I, I can't do nothing. The only thing I'm doing right now is I'm involved with Sinn Fein, and they're kind of helping me as much as they can. Um, how, how can they help you? You're, you're staying with your uncle and aunt. They're, yeah, no, they're emailing the the council trying to figure out why they won't put me on and all this kind of stuff. Okay. Well, I, you know, I think if well, whatever political party, if anybody can help get clarity uh, as to where you stand, that might, you know, and, and at least you can start on a journey if you know where you're starting from. But you're in the middle of limbo land. Fair enough. If I was trouble and if I was causing trouble and all this kind of stuff, like, but I'm I'm actually so quiet, like, and I don't, you know. And I'm just stuck in this hole then and I literally cannot get out of it whatsoever. I've tried going into the council and they've just, they just don't care. Like. You're mentally drained? Oh, I'm mentally drained. This has been going on since I'm about 18 years of age. Well, not since they took me off it. It's been going on so long and it just feels like I'm never going to get out of it. It just feels like I'm going to end up on the street with my tree old. Well, I, I'd love if one of your public representatives, be that a council or a governmental TD level, would, would volunteer to investigate your situation and just define, you know, as, as a charitable element of humanity, uh, define where the system can help you rather than the system not defining you at all. Well, I don't, to be honest, I don't even think that's ever going to happen. I just think anything, anyone is going to do anything for me inside the council. Yeah, so you don't go drinking, you don't go partying, you stick to yourself, you're trying to raise your son uh, and just looking for a bit of definition. You must be at your wits end, are you? Oh, yeah, I am. Like, all I want is a home for me and my son and it's literally impossible. Yeah, I know there, there are thousands of others in the same boat, uh, but at least they may like, have a little across, more definition than you as to where like, they're... Across the road now from my uncle's house, there's literally a house boarded up for the last year and a half Like, and it's, it actually makes me sick looking at it like thinking they have all these houses boarded up and then we're stuck. Joe, it's it's not fair. Like, Are there many boarded up houses in your area? Uh, in Fernry, there's loads of boarded up houses. But there's one literally across the road from me. Like, it's, like I'm looking at it every single day, just in disgust. Like. And that would be more than suitable? Oh, I would, yeah. It's, you know, it's around my family area and... It's across the road, like. Yeah, but I, I think you have a right to clarity and definition here because, like, let, let's beg the rhetorical question: What do they expect you to do? I I don't know. And any time that I ask them, it's just throw them shrug the shoulders. They don't care. Like they just tell me that I need to get an address. But how am I supposed to get an address? 
they're not giving me the option to be able to get an address. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'd love if somebody would volunteer to get some clarity on this for you. Uh, and I do feel for you. I can hear it in your voice how stressed you are, Paula. Yeah, I, oh, I'm at my wit's end. I just don't know what to do anymore. Yeah. All right, let's see if anyone volunteers. Let's see if we can get you some of that clarity that you need. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Thanks, and very brave for coming on. Thank you, Paula. Thanks very much. Cheers. Thanks. Bye-bye. Now, Thanks. Uh, yesterday's programme, we heard from some people who had left Ireland to live in countries such as the UK and the Philippines for a better life, not just for them, uh, but for their families. And some of the reasons included uh, better health care for children with disabilities as well as job, uh, better job opportunities. And one listener made the comment that Irish people are leaving the country in droves just to get their entitlements. Strangely, many others continue to come to Ireland just to get a better life uh, from where they're running from. So did you or someone you know leave Ireland for access to better health care or for better job opportunities? Uh, is that the way things are going now is the question we posed on social media. And some of your comments, the way things are going now, question mark, Ireland's young adults and families have been leaving in droves for over a decade. Nobody wants to spend €400,000 on a semi-detached two-bed with a stamp for a garden. You can earn 2500 a month in Ireland or go to Spain, earn the same, and buy a villa for 100000 You'd be uh, simple to stay uh, at, that, at this point. I don't understand the last line there, but anyway, the next text is middle class is totally forgotten and is paying for everything. Too rich to get a social house or any sort of social help and too poor to get a mortgage. I would also add absolutely no childcare support here. A wise, experienced and educated woman can't continue her work path. She needs to choose to work and give all your salary to a childminder, stroke creche or preschool, or resign from your further career and mind your own children. It's absolutely crazy and very sad. The only thing which keeps you here are the wonderful people, says this texture. If you don't like how things are going, we are the ones to change it. Not leave, but fight for what was. At one stage, the number one country for quality of life back in 05, I think. If we all work together, we can bring about change. Another texture said, Now that I'm looking for a place to rent uh, as I graduate and start work, I see why loads are leaving. Even in Limerick, not to mind Dublin, some apartments are going for 1200 plus a month. And then when you try to contact places, you get no response. It's ridiculous. The healthcare system in Ireland is absolutely shocking. It's a disgrace. Nowhere in Europe would my child have to wait 12 hours to see a doctor in emergency or wait three years for surgery. Healthcare is paid by taxes, same as here. The issue is the politicians who rob this country and people being so naive and stupid are too afraid uh, to say it is what it is. Uh, what healthcare in Ireland? To see most of the specialists takes a few years. There's no possibility to buy a house for middle class people. Earning too much for social house, yet not enough for a mortgage. That point once again being reiterated. The Irish healthcare system is worse than any third world country system. I believe that people who want to throw stones at me have never experienced a long waiting time in A&E or a two-year wait for an appointment with a doctor after your useless GP referral or no ambulance available if you live in the country. Possibly it's only me that's had these bad experiences and everything is perfect uh, and I've no reason to complain. I hope that would be the case. I'm here since 2016 and I love to work for my employer. I accepted expensive health care because of my job, but now I'm done. I wish I could get an affordable apartment to live in Cork City as working from home is not possible. But yes, I really understand everyone who leaves. Lots of people who come here uh, think they find something better. I'm just not sure anymore what that is. The only lovely thing here is the nature and the people. Uh, I'm happy to leave and yes, um, uh, many come, but many leave after they get thrown into Irish reality. We'll take a couple of more comments uh, before we go to a break. You don't have to leave Ireland for a better life. Just go up north 
Uh, I left home in 2013. I don't see myself returning due to higher taxes, higher property prices and fewer job opportunities. And leaving any country run like a cartel is best for most unless they are good at deception and crime. Uh, one final one. Once I get my degree, I'll definitely be off to a country where better living conditions uh, since we simply cannot afford rent in Ireland. Like the 80s, the exodus seems to be coming back. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Now, we continue to try and cover as much ground as possible and get as much information and uh, get as much people on air as we can. And we do so again now with Morris in line two. Morning, Morris. Good morning, Michael. How are you? Very good. Now, a little bit of uh, yin to the yang, as they say. For a long time, you've been complaining privately about the buses on Patrick's Key. Tell me yeah. the story. Well, I'm a lorry driver, uh, right and <clears throat> from time to time I have the, the pleasure of driving up Patrick's Key with a 45-foot trailer, and um, you have these buses on the left-hand side of Patrick's Key, out, down around the McCow there, you know, the back of um, yeah, that's Paris, the, or the, the, the Metropole, right? Yeah, that would be the kind of western end of the key. Yeah, right, and they're just double parking there, right? They can't all get into the parking space that's there, so they're just pulling up on the road. Now, to feed these buses... You have people coming with cars to put passengers on the buses, taking out baggage, right? You have people crossing the street in front of you then with the, the suitcase with the wheels on it, right? Mm-hmm. This is on a live street, right? And it can, you, you can even see this at one o'clock in the morning, right? Crazy stuff altogether. No. That said, I'm driving a big vehicle, so I do have certain sympathy for the man driving the bus. He's doing his job as well, and that's, that's where he must stop, unfortunately, right? Now, the council in their wisdom are shifting them on, but that, that's not actually the solution here because they're going to push it to other areas. That issue is going to take place in other areas now, right, that I've just described there. Picture the lower road now, feeding passengers as well, the same thing going on down there, right? When you have existing infrastructure, Mick, in the form of the bus station, which you have already covered, is owned by Bus Aaron, a company that's owned by the public, right? And yet a bus service that's privately owned can't dock there. It's kind of strange. It seems to me like an airport that planes can't land in. Wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be kind of strange to you? It, no? it, it, it would, especially when the private buses are filling a need for the public. They're providing the service for the public. So anyway, look, that's one issue. But like, to the left of the bus station, then, are, um, Nick, you have Merchant's Quay, right? Where a lot of the city services are stopping, right? And some of them will stay there a couple of minutes. I don't see why uh, parking couldn't be provided for the private operators along Merchant's Quay. Right, because it's a fine stretch, you know, and they could come in and come out and, and go over Patrick's Bridge, then and off about the route. And as a by the way, Mick, what I would say for the bus operators themselves, um, like maybe they should actually consider um, stopping out of town as well as going into the city centre as a solution here to this chaos, right? Uh, you have places like Little Island, right? You have Eastgate there with large amounts of parking, right, to feed. Um, you know, the Harvey Normans and the Easy Living and all that there. Mm-hmm. You, in Eastgate, you have large parking areas there, right? And you have the, the, the Connect services going in there now and it's fitting in there quite well. So you could have the likes of the Dublin bus coming down there, the Go bus, is it? Well, there's, there's Go bus, uh, Gobi, isn't it? And then there's the Air Coach. And the Air Coach. Uh, but, but that's, you know, that's coming down to Dunkettle and, and, and turning and back, turning left, back to turning the east. Turning left for five minutes into Little Island, right? Probably Drop more than five 20. minutes now, but there you go. But do you understand me? You could drop... 15, 20 passengers there with their suitcases into cars waiting for them, right? Yeah, any, anybody who's going to Middleton, Carrytool, Cove, that direction. Exactly. And over there then, back through the tunnel, over to somewhere like Mackin Point or Black Ash, 
drop another load of passengers there. What you have then is a bus that's nearly empty arriving into town, right? There'll be 10, 15 passengers on it and their luggage arriving into Merchant's Quay to well, go away. Well, arriving in 20 or 25 minutes later than they would have. And the big appeal well, the big appeal of air coaching, Gobi, is the three and a half hour time, even though you do stop, if you're going to Dublin yeah. Airport, you do stop in Dublin City Centre. And coming you back, you do quick, as well. If you want a quick exit from that service, get off in Little Island. It's not, it's not rocket science. If that pulled in towards Glontown there, we'll say, right, and headed down to the Little Island train station. Okay, look at the connectivity that's there. If it's done a, just done a circle there now by the gals there, the diner place, right, and drop some passengers there. Look at the connectivity that's there. You can get the Little Island train, right, into the city or down to Cove or down to Middleton, or you can go to Mallow from there, right, and it's taking traffic away from Keys. Do you understand what I'm saying to you, Mick, mm-hmm. right? And if you went over to Black Ash, there's a parking ride there. People could pick up over there, right? And then head into town. All right, arrival in the city centre is going to be later, granted. But you're still getting there. Yeah, like the whole thing is keys by their very nature are city centre because the city grows up around the mm-hmm. river, the keys mm-hmm. are built, and, and they're always mm-hmm. going to be very busy thoroughfares. Um, yeah, course, so yeah. is is what the city council is doing not not a step in the right direction? Then we're going to have some of the smaller buses on Coburg Street, uh, some on Anderson's Quay, and some at the very start of the Lord Landmine Road. Now I'm just talking about behind the. Uh, well, look at the feeder traffic that I'm talking about, right? Look at the cars that will pull up to drop passengers to those buses, right? The people getting off other city services, walking across the street with the luggage in these tighter spots. Picture, picture it down on Corbett Street. Where, where's the bus going to park on Corbett Street? There's uh, very little room un, un, unless you go over to where right? there, there could be a funeral going on or you're outside one of the pubs. And 20 passengers are getting dropped to a bus now that's going somewhere out of there, right? So you now have 20 cars that would normally be in that area. And that's not and an easy to place to get to from the south side. You've got to go over yeah, the bridge, down the quay. to stop there and drop passengers and drop luggage or bags mm. or whatever else they're dropping or pick people up there, Right? all into these areas. It's, it's ludicrous. It's absolutely ludicrous. Like, ideally, the bus station is the place to do this, or even Capwell, right? Which isn't being mentioned at all. A large bus garage that all bus areas seem to do there is park buses. Now, if you went up to Dublin, all the Dublin bus depots are on the outskirts, right? So if you went up around the airport there, there's one at the back of there in St. Margaret's, right? There's another, the Inchicore one is still there, right? Which is in town, right? But... There isn't a whole lot going on there anymore, do you know? Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call Inchicore in town as I wouldn't call Capwell in Cork, in town. Well, you know, well, you're, you're you're walking distance from. I'm saying it's the river in the South Mallow. Do you okay. understand me? It's, it's on the inside of the M50, right? They're, they're the oh, old yeah. traditional places, right? But you have Capwell. Their Capwell is huge, right? And it is that's where they repair the buses. But it's quite possible to put a place like that out in Blarney Business Park, right? Look at the land that that frees up there, then, in that area, you know, and you you can have. Two or three. I, I don't understand it. There's four points on the compass, Mick, right? North, south, east, and west. But in Cork, everything has to be in the middle point, you know, on the axis of the compass, mm-hmm. right? Instead of going around the points. And, like, people would prefer to get off more close to where they could be picked up, you know? Yeah, does it make I, sense to you? It, 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 it does, but, you know, city centre is city centre. In Dublin, you're dropped, mm-hmm. you're, you're, uh, there's a stop in Aston Quay, where the old mm-hmm. Virgin Megastore, I'm not sure the name of the quay, uh, mm-hmm. and you go straight down towards the Three Arena and into the, the Port mm-hmm. Tunnel, and you're, you're, you're literally in the airport in 15 minutes from the city. Mm-hmm. Well, you see, Dublin has, has all the bus lanes sorted out, no one, everything, you know, they're, they're miles ahead of us. And I think that's what the ambition is here, to be fair to the mm-hmm. council. Sort out oh, the yeah, bus lanes. I mean, I'm all for I'm all for public transport, right? 
but we don't have a, we don't have the infrastructure right now. So, like, we need a plan right now to make the city move a bit better, and then they can do all the bus lanes and cycle lanes going. Then I have no problem with that, do you know. But at the end of the day, you fellas like me going about your day's work, right? And I might have a heavy trailer, and I might want to pull that up the hill there by Tivoli, right? Because it's just going to cause chaos going up there. Plus, it's not kind to the truck, right? And I, I say, right, I'll shoot through town there now, and I'll turn right by the upper house, and I'll head out to Mallow Road that way. And then I'm running into a traffic jam that's been caused by a private bus operation that actually shouldn't be there in the first place. You make a fair point. What, what's life like for a truck driver in Ireland today? <sighs> It's varied, Mick. Like, it depends on what you're actually doing work-wise. Like, we were very busy, you know, throughout the pandemic, like, keeping the place running, like, you know, and we were, it was ourselves and the guards, basically, we're the only people out at night time, you know. Um, look, it's, it's, it's not an easy life, because it's, it's, it's all hours working, like, you could, you could find yourself doing, doing day work one week, and you could find yourself then working overnight the next week, you know, and you, you have delays to factor in, like, as stuff go wrong from time to time. But look, it's a good job. It's, it, it's a job that, it's steady, it's stable, you know, and, it, you know, you get a certain satisfaction out of doing it if you have the right employer, you know. Um, would I choose it again if I was a young man? Probably not, you know. But um, I am where I am, like, and I just soldier on, like, mm. and keep, keep you all supplied with goods and services, you know. What sort of stuff do you transport? Everything and anything, varied. I do a lot of, um, do a lot of groupage work, you know, like, which would be different kind of um, pallets and... Um, Packages for different people, you know that kind of work, work like you know. No, I'd be I'd be going to main depots then. Like I wouldn't be going to your housing estate at all, or to your local factory. Like I'm going to I'm going to a big place to unload half the trailer, kind of thing. You know. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, uh, but, and, um, and long hours, I imagine, are they? Uh, well, yeah, but you you see, you're governed by you're governed by legislation. You see, there's only so many hours in a day that you can be behind the wheel, like and rest breaks and all that kind of thing like but it is look it can be long like you can you can find yourself having an unexpected split shift like with a big big break in the middle of the day do you know that kind of way um, something might go wrong you'd have to wait for a backload like um, but that's just the nature of the game and you get used to it after a while and you leave home you yeah. leave home expecting trouble do you know that kind of way so your solution to the proposals for Patrick's Key is uh, Little Island Man Point Blackpool Shopping Centre Black Ash uh, mm-hmm. kind of outskirts of kind the of city rather than being in the city points, itself. Drop and collect points on the outskirts. Plus, come into the city centre, right? Though I'm not ruling that out at all, but come in with a reduced um, with a reduced passenger quantity, you know? Mm-hmm. Just to make things quicker. And you can come in by the bus station, turn left, dock on the key there, throw off your 10, 15 passengers, take on another 10, 15, and off you go into the out-of-town out collections. Or you might even have to, because you might have collected them on the way, and it depends. Like, look, the bus operators know themselves how to make this work. Yeah, you, you, you mentioned struggling with the truck and not being kind to the truck going up Tivoli. Is, mm-hmm. is there a need for a flatter um, North Ring Road? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely, Mick. Listen, the infrastructure in this city is, is ridiculous. Like, I heard a lot now about the, uh, the M20 route there now to um, Limerick, you know? And uh, the amount of money that's going to be spent on that. And I can tell you this from travelling that road a lot. Uh, it's, it's not actually necessary. Right, it's places like here need that kind of spending. Like we could do with a good link road there now, up around. We say the top of the hill there now by Glanmire, right, to run all the way over to the Mallow Road, 
expecting these old runner I'm talking about and, and what we have now at the end of Dunkettle is going to be a nice um, free-flowing junction as such, right, to take us east-west or south, right, and back into the city that way. So that's remedying itself. But further out, we could definitely do with a new ring, right? And it doesn't have to be dual carriageway, right? What we call the North Ring Road, now going up through Balavalan and up into Mayfield, is no more than an inner relief road, right? That's all it is to do to take traffic away from Blackpool heading into the city that would transport. But I, I, I've been looking at this now, Mick, right? Do you know this the proposal to move the port from Tivoli down to, um, to Ring of Skiddy? Do you know this new container terminal they want to build down there? Mm-hmm. It's built. This is going to be an absolute disaster, right? And I tell you why it's going to be a disaster. Because you'll have all this traffic now that was originally leaving Tivoli is now going to be coming up out of Carrigaline, right? But don't ring skiddy Carrigaline, right? So picture that, like, you have, going to have trucks now heading for Limerick, Galway, that side of the country, coming with containers, right? They're all now going to go up, up through the tunnel. They never did before, right? They're going to come up through the tunnel. They're going to come up by Silver Springs there, up through Mayfield, which they always did, Right? And there's no other way to slip off. Like, I mean, they should ideally come up the tunnel, go up the hill there for Glanmire and have an alternative route then to go over to the N20. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's something that's on every driver's wish list is, is, is to avoid. What you correctly say is an inner relief road through, mm. you know, the residents, it, the residents of Mayfield and Ballyvalan and down into Blackpool. Uh, we, we need an outer north ring, I think. Mm-hmm. But you see, they'll over-design it, Mick. They'll come up with a big motorway plan like the south ring there, right? And the cost will be so big that it'll be long-fingered. And then you have the competing road project in the M20, right? So the funding will go there. And, like, I'll, I'll probably be retired by the time they actually do the North Ring Road, you know? Okay. Well, sa- generation on the road, you know? Safe driving until then, Morris. Best you mind yourself, Mick. It was great talking to you. Thanks a million. Cheers. Good luck, bye. Good Thanks, bye-bye. Bye. Now, uh, by text, what if you're needing public transport? You have to get a train, then into the city, and then walk from the train station into the city to get a bus. Uh, what about if you have mobility issues? But... Uh, uh, this texture agrees this is the time to sort everything out. And uh, we have uh, a different text here uh, regarding yesterday's programme. Uh, Hi Mick and gang, uh, regarding the lack of services for children in Ireland, the only solution to providing and getting the best government services for your child is to for you to give your child up to the foster care providers. Your child will then get every piece of care that is available in the state at no charge. If you love your child and can provide this kind of care, hand over the child. It's not your fault, but you have no other option. That's uh, from Jim. That's a very stark message. Um, but isn't it crazy that uh, that could actually work? Isn't it absolutely ridiculous? Give up your child for foster care uh, to foster care providers. Your child will then get every piece of care that's available in the state at no charge. And if you love your child and can't provide this kind of care, hand over the child. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Coming up on five minutes to uh, 11 o'clock and some texts on the buses and other issues. Uh, Mick, this guy obviously doesn't use public transport. The trains are not as regular and so people will have to wait an hour after getting off a little island. Uh, what uh, the buses doing that extended route or with the buses doing that extended route, the bus companies would then have to raise the price to cover the cost of uh, the diesel. Mick, I'm a serving bus driver. This is part of the bigger plan. Anderson's Quay is the best location for West Cork Connect. And when the plan is fully completed, uh, you will see exactly what I mean. 
Uh, housing. Why is it that people are on a waiting list for years, but non-nationals seem to get houses before our own Irish people? Uh, make of that woman is living in a house with seven people. Could she not get one of the people to mind the kids and get a part-time job and save enough money to rent the house? Uh, that she wants. Um, so, uh, sorry, when Anderson's key is completed, I didn't get the end of that text, it would be close to the train station uh, and taxis will be able to pick up there as well. Let's go to our phone lines again and to Pat on line one. Hiya, Pat. Morning, Mick. Uh, no, you can't get a second booster. It's not that I can't, it's that I don't have online facilities and I've been told by um, my doctor that you have to, not by the doctor, but the receptionist that you have to go online. I, f- I don't have online facilities. I find it annoying that you have to go online oh, for basically everything we need in this country. And can you not apply in, in person? Walk in, is it? Yeah, can you not apply in person? When did you walk into a doctor last week? Doctors don't want to see patients anymore. Ah, but they have that's receptionists. Why have, that's why you have, you, that's why you have tact accident and emergency systems because... You can't see an only GP anymore. It is complicated. But what I'm saying is, can you not leave a message with your GP or with the secretary of your GP? The yeah, I was talking to him. I was talking to him, uh, Mick, on the phone, and I just got annoyed over the whole bloody business. Is that, you know, every, everything now seems to be online. Not everybody in the country is online. Not everybody in, in the country can afford broadband and everything else. It's just, you know, you, what we've got now, instead of having choice, You've got Hobson's choice in this country. So where are you going to go from here? Do you want that second booster? I'd be honest with you, no, I'd nearly pre- I'd prefer to do it over it rather than all the complications. And that's being totally honest with you. But with the way, the, with the, way the public is going now. A poor take, that's why there was a poor take-up in a lot of the, the booster things. They made it difficult for people, Mick. They made it difficult for people. And if it's difficult for you, you won't take it up. But you're, looking, you're, you're talking about the second booster now, not the first booster. Second booster, yes. Yeah, second okay. booster. And how, how and did I you... Phoned about, I phoned about that a few weeks back. I got a te- text just the evening, urgent message. And do you, do you not have anybody, Pat, who can go online and book it for you? Are, are you trying so to avoid I mean, that? If you don't, we, we just take a scenario, you, you don't have anybody. And you go to a total stranger. You, what, what happened to data prediction? You know, I mean, why why should you need to? Why should you need to? Well, I, should I, you, need you to? should be able to make an appointment over the phone with the receptionist yeah. for your doctor. They don't want this. They don't want it. The receptionist don't want this. Since the lockdown became sort of the, the main thing in this country, people don't want to walk anymore. They don't want to take a phone call. They just don't want to do nothing. I'm talking about a primary care centre now who... I mean, you know, it's it's a joke. No wonder, as I said, no wonder the emergency situation is so bad. Because people can't see a normal GP anymore. There's too much complication. That's been totally honest. About okay, Pat, you, see, you seem very despondent. If you're not prepared to get someone to book it online, then I think... I you... couldn't be bothered, Mick. Yeah. I couldn't be bothered. If you have to go to... If, they, if they, you have to go to these lanes... You shouldn't have to do it. I mean, we've had we have refugees in the country. We have people illegal in the country. They all have to go online before they come into this country. Now, but they're fleeing from war. 
Pat, I'm going to have to leave Paddy, it there because uh, because news is on the way. Paddy but seems to have to go on line for everything. All right, Pat, thanks a million for your for your Thank contribution you. today. Thanks a million. Bye bye. That's Pat who can't get a second booster because he doesn't have broadband and is forced online, which he can't do. Uh, hi, Mick, I'm a taxi driver and I went to see the space for West Cork Connect bus on Anderson's Quay. There's absolutely no space there for taxis to pull in to collect passengers and especially passengers with luggage. Now, a very interesting hour coming up uh, between 11 o'clock and 12, including a visit live in studio from singer-songwriter Don Meskel. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. 104 to 106. Red FM. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. And you're with Mick Mulcahy here for the rest of the week for Neil, who returns on Monday morning. Mark O'Donoghue, good morning. Mick, how are you? I'm very good. Now, you are the owner of Rooster's Piri Piri, and you've been nominated in the Uber Eats Best Restaurant category uh, in the UK. Is, is, does that extend here to Ireland as well? It's, it's actually the Irish one that we've been nominated oh, for. Oh, very so brilliant. Yeah. Okay, I didn't realise that. Okay. Fantastic, yeah. because I, I know Roosters is a franchise. I know you're the main man uh, in, in, in that franchise in Ireland. So what do you think uh, is the contributory factor? Is it the locally sourced produce, the bespoke uh, produce that you source? Yeah, it's a mixture of everything. It's, it's, it's free food Friday on Red FM, I would think. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, it's a combination of everything. It's a combination of the fresh uh, food, our fantastic uh, staff. We have a super crew. We've staffed at a winner seven and a half years. Um, so it's a, it's a mixture of everything, but obviously the food is would be paramount, and and our our food is fresh. Every, mm. We get a delivery of chicken every single day from our fantastic suppliers, and that would be uh, that would be one of the the factors, obviously. Yeah, I I I, I hope I'm not categorising it wrong here now. But the last time I ate in there it was kind of the Ed Sheeran Brigade that was in there, uh, and you're looking at maybe fourteen, fifteen to twenty twenty one, predominantly. Uh, there's a very heavy bias on the female side. Uh, and I'm just wondering, is, is it, you know, people who are just getting their independence from home, allowed into town, allowed into Douglas or Blackpool or whatever? Uh, and, and it seems like a very f- safe, funky and kind of hip and trendy place to go. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's a, obviously all our, all our chicken is, is steamed and then grilled. So it's extremely healthy. So, um, so it would be, uh, our, our target market would be, would be healthy kind of 18 to 25 year olds would be would be the main market but we get lots of families and we get we get a mixture of everything uh, you know everybody likes eating healthy uh, nowadays and and uh, thankfully uh, Roosters Perry Perry takes that box I, I, I know it's a, it's a testament to the quality that you do but the amount of people who stop me when I'm doing this program says and say any chance you can fix up uh, free food Friday for me uh, as if I could corrupt the process which I never would do I've, I've been asked to uh, <laughs> and you're the but, owner <laughs> But uh, no, listen. It's it, it, you know, free food fight is super for us, and obviously that's why we came back on after after COVID. COVID was tough. We opened in Dublin um, uh, during COVID, j- just at the start. We were opening in March. We were due to open uh, the week that uh, that the lockdown happened, and it was tough for every restaurant and and, and and everyone in the hospitality. Gladly, we were able to do takeaway with with the likes of Uber, Deliveroo, and Just Eat. Um, but um, it's super to be re- uh, reopened now, and we're actually opening a new restaurant today in Limerick. So I'm in Limerick today. Uh, we're opening in Clarina in in Limerick. So uh, that's number four now. So so you know. You, you've had a very career in the food business, Mark. I think you started with pizza in Dublin, did you? I did actually. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I had pizza uh, restaurants in Dublin. Uh, so back in 2003, uh, we opened our first one. But uh, it's uh, 
but I think I think the way things are going now, it's 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 uh, it's healthy, uh, fresh, uh, and, and sort of quick. It's fast, casual, is the the category that we uh, that we come under. So it's 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 in and out very quickly. But of course, you've you've been in the coffee and muffin uh, area as well. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. No, as well, my brother in 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 in, in BBs in uh, in Douglas and Black and um, uh, Mal Point, wasn't it? Uh, no, no, no point. That was a, a main franchise store, so that was a com- a company store. Okay, uh, uh, but, you know, in, in in especially they say in the pizza game, it's a very crowded segment. Do you think you've kind of identified a niche here with Roosters Piri Piri? Um, I would hope so. Yeah, yeah. No, I would hope so. It's um, we uh, we we're, we're extremely busy, obviously, and uh, we um, and I think that's as I said, down to the the, the quality of the food and the and the friendly staff and. Uh, and um, yeah, I'm, I, 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 I think it's, it's a sector that isn't as crowded as pizza. I would, I would, I would think. Okay, well, if if the volume of calls we're getting, or sorry, texts we're getting for uh, Roosters Piri Piri Free Food Friday is anything to go by, it's going to be ever popular. Uh, once again, in Cork, you're in Blackpool, and in uh, in Douglas, uh, in Morris House. There, uh, what what does getting this sort of uh, accolade uh, nominated in the Uber Eats Best Restaurant category uh, do for a business like yours? Um, I would, I would think it would boost us through, especially with Uber. It would, it would, you know, it would. Uh, it, it's great to, to, for a nomination. Obviously, uh, we haven't won it. There's ten other or nine other restaurants in it. Uh, I actually found out about it from you guys. I actually didn't know uh, <laughs> because uh, I was I was on the way to uh, to Limerick this morning. Um, but um, yeah, to, listen, it's great to be nominated for stuff. But at the end of the day, the, what makes me happy is is, is returning customers like yourself. And, and 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 Neil, of course, that's a regular customer in Douglas. And, and you swear and, we're getting stuff for nothing now. We're not. We're not. We pay our way. <laughs> Absolutely, I know that. You, you, of course, you do. Yeah. And uh, I bumped into you in 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 Douglas. I think a week or ten days ago. That's uh, right. And, and, I, and I have to say, family. and I have to say, as a, as a paying customer, uh, and I don't know the guy's name. He had an English accent and a, a kind of a, I won't say a beard, but he had a trendy sort of a stubble. Uh, and I, I've for many years never had the, the sort of courteous attention that that, that young man uh, gave so uh, that's that's why tips are left and, uh, uh, yeah I think uh, and I think that's the case with a lot of our staff you yeah. know we, 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 we would hope that, that all our staff are, are as courteous and and, and and look after customers uh, like uh, but here's like, the thing Mark uh, if, if you pay before you get your food as you do in Roosters are, are they getting very little tips um they don't get as they, you're correct. Yeah, they wouldn't get as many tips as as as, as a normal restaurant. But uh, I would hope we pay them well and and we incentivize them, and uh, you know we look after them with free food and they get a meal. And uh, as I said, we we have staff. I've staff that are with me since the day we opened in Dublin and a half years ago. So uh, that's uh, you know it's great. But but obviously the staff are are key, especially now when it's so difficult to to, to get staff. It's a different environment now than about seven and a half years ago to hire staff. Mm-hmm. So when you've good staff, you you, you you try and hang on to them. Yeah, Mark, I'm not sure if I've ever had you on the air before, but it uh, it, it behoves me, of course, uh, to mention the great friendship I had with your late father. Uh, worked with him, the great Donna Donoghue, a snooker a commentator, all-round rogue a gentleman. And uh, that's how I met you guys, by being invited to one of your weddings through Don. And uh, uh, he's correct. He's missed. He is missed, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, he's missed, and I'm sure he'd... Uh, He'd be delighted today when, uh, if he heard that we were nominated for the award because even when he was extremely sick, um, he he always went down to Blackpool to see. Uh, we have two staff down in Blackpool, Courtney and Casey, that, that uh, he was very fond of. And he uh, 
he, he, he loved the food, so he used to go down regularly, you know. So, All right. Um, Long may we, we be associated we on Fridays with, with your fine company in Piri, uh, Roosters Piri Piri. And uh, every success with it, Mark. And well done. Congrats for being nominated in the Uber Eats Best Restaurant here. Thank you very much. Mate. Thanks a million. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks. Bye bye. Uh, on our text line 0868104106, um, the texts we read out have generated more texts uh, about leaving. Uh, the country. Who wants to stay in this dump, says a texter. I'm heading to Mars. Uh, no wonder our country is in bits. The government and its officials taking orders from non-elected elites. Uh, the more we allow the working class to own the necessities of life, the less they will let themselves be exploited for our comfort. This cannot continue. We need more environmental taxes and taxpayer loans and increased spending on businesses. Uh, well done to the Irish government for pre- preserving our way of life. Uh, and that is uh, another opinion. Our government does a great job after uh, everyone in the EU, ex- uh, looking after everyone in the EU except our own. Housing crisis? Let's take in thousands of refugees and give them homes. Healthcare crisis? Let's send millions abroad to help other countries. It's beyond a joke at this stage. Look after our own first, then help others with what's left. Uh, we can't even look after our own problems, never mind other countries as well. Well, this will be like red rag to a bull now, uh, because with all of the problems here and with all of the uh, shortages, shall we say, in various areas, bionic penises have been fitted to 69 men with the HSE picking up the 1.4 million euro tab uh, over the last nine years. I kid you not. Bionic penises. The William, $6 billion man is one of the headlines. The device is known as a penile prosthesis and is surgically implanted and can be manually inflated. I'm in the mood for love. Uh, allowing a man with erectile dysfunction to have sex. Uh, a further 17 either pay to have one or were covered by insurance for their operation. The one of insurance prices are going up. Uh, the operation costs 20,000 euros. The word bionic is best known for reference, of course, to the $6 million man who had electronic implants. Steve Austin was his name, wasn't it? Uh, and the six Willie on dollar men, uh, the HSE pays uh, for 69 males to be fitted with bionic penises. Uh, this is like an April Fool's, uh, but it's true. Dara McDonough report today in the Irish Daily Mirror uh, that records released under the Freedom of Information Act show that 86 men were fitted with the bionic uh, devices in public hospitals between 2012 and 2020, 69 of whom were public patients. The remaining 17 individuals either paid for the procedure privately or were covered by insurance. Lee Majors played Steve Austin. He had superhuman strength and speed because he'd been fitted with electronic limbs. If you look at it now, uh, because we're so used to the dramatic special effects of today, it looks so cheap and corny. But the health service executive could not provide details of the cost of the treatment for Irish patients, but private clinics in the UK advertise prices of between 14,600 and 20,500 euro for the implantation of the, of the device. The device uh, on its own costs 8,000 euros. And the cause of patients' erectile dysfunction can include trauma, diabetes, cardiovascular disease and prostate removal. A recent study uh, published in the Irish Medical Journal reported 86% of patients who had undergone the treatment in Irish hospitals were satisfied with the outcome, and a spokeswoman declined to outline the criteria for approving patients for the procedure in the public health system. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Brenderville now on 0818-104-106, Red FM. Coming up on 20 minutes past 11, and Roy McCarthy joins me in line two. Good morning, Roy. How are you, Mick? How are you keeping? Oh, great. Great to hear you. From Marlborough Entertainment, of course, uh, and an old buddy from Cove many, many years ago now. I bought a guitar off you one of those days, didn't I? 
think I bought a, a Fender off you maybe way back when when I was playing guitar. And you still have it a sort of fair few bob now, Miss. <laughs> I don't have it now, no. Uh, anyway, you're on about the gig for Karen Kramer and asking people not to turn up at the Rochestown Park Hotel for a very good reason. Why? Exactly, Mick. Thankfully, the whole thing is sold out. So we're at maximum capacity. So it's just pe- people might, might imagine by the size of the room that they can just come along on the night, but unfortunately, no. So just to say, and the inconvenience, there will it's on the door and there will be nobody else allowed in because it's full to capacity, thankfully. Okay. There's people in Germany. Just stay where you are. Don't move, Roy, because uh, you, you, if you move, the, the, the line is breaking up a bit. Uh, let's look right. at what happened to Kieran first. I think it was an insect bite, wasn't it, while he was out on deliveries for a courier? It was, it was, it, exactly. It was compounded by the fact that he had uh, asymptomatic COVID, as far as I'm aware as well. And it, it went from there then, and he's after about nine operations. And um, he's walking away on, on, on the legs all the time, but... Uh, Nobody knows a long-term prognosis, but at this point in time, unfortunately, he's wheelchair-bound, you know. Isn't it amazing, though, that uh, a guy who gave so much service um, to the music industry, to the wedding industry, to the party industry, uh, you know, as a great singer in general who'd be, who could turn up at a pub and do an impromptu session for free and make an evening, uh, can be so well-supported by his colleagues in the industry because the gig's going to feature Gene and the Champions, Bong the Donkey... Uh, there's a Joe Dolan tribute band. You've got Joe Mack and Oliver. Uh, Dennis Desmond is MC. It's, 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 it's fantastic, actually, Mick. Uh, and as I said, my perspective, because only one phone call to all these guys, and there was no problem, whatever, you know. There was no beating about the bush that's fine, right? Tell us what is on and what you want us to do, and there's no problems. Is it an easier gig to set up than a lot of individual gigs? Because you're probably just going to use one rig, are you? That. You're going to use one sound rig, one, one one set of equipment, and all the all the bands will subscribe. Well, Dan um, is looking at to look after this case. So the big forty-two channel desk going in, and uh, a big light. Yeah, the, the line is desperate, Roy. Can you can you just move to a better place, maybe? I think he's gone altogether. Anyway, Marlborough uh, Promotions, Conference, Event and Entertainment Management. That's a big handle. Marlborough Promotions, Conference, Event and Entertainment Management Company. They're widely recognised in Ireland as the number one promotion and events company in Cork and are getting behind this big, big gig with uh, Kieran Kramer being the uh, beneficiary. It's a sold-out gig at Rochestown Park Hotel coming up on the 12th of May featuring Gina and the Champions, Bong the Donkey, Joe Dolan tribute and special guests Joe Mack and Oliver with MC Dennis Desmond. Sold out and very best wishes to Kieran Kramer. It's a brilliant song and that's my favourite version of Same. It's the Snow Patrol uh, classic called Run as beautifully performed there by Leona Lewis and that is a musical interlude. We don't take many musical interludes on the Neil Prendival show but we did it this time to allow the uh, the ingress and the setting up and the tuning up and the sounding up uh, of a very talented artist. Paul Gambaccini, uh, the famous DJ from BBC Radio 2 said daily doses of Don Mescal as an artist, as a writer will lead to good musical health. An apple a day. Would you agree, Don? That was very kind of Paul. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to be here with you, mate. It's great, fantastic to be back in Cork. Uh, and, and of course, you are not far from Cork originally. You came from Ahan, County Limerick. Yeah, the little little Horland parish of Ahan, um, County Limerick, and um, went to school in Newport, just across the border in Tip. 
Big family, Don? Uh, no, just a small family. There's only 11 of us. <laughs> um, eight sisters and two brothers. I remember uh, Kieran Goss when he sang that song he wrote with Rodney Crowell, which is uh, Reasons to Leave, the immigration song. Mm. There's a very striking line, and it says, My brothers are ten, and sisters I have five, and four to one bed is room enough to grow. Big families. Oh, home. wow, yeah. Well, yeah. that was a similar situation, I suppose, with us, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, amazing. Actually, a lot of fun, really. Yeah. And you left Ireland in the early 90s. You moved to London. Uh, I remember your association with Road to Glory by Eleanor Shanley. Uh, I would say, though, probably over the Irish artist, Francis Black has, uh, you know, the way maybe Christy Moore and Mary Black have, have done so much yeah. of, of uh, Jimmy Mack's work, Jimmy McCarthy. Oh, Francis what? Black has picked up know. on your style and your... Yeah, you know, she was so supportive in the early days, Francis. You know, I think actually I was living in London and I opened for Francis, I think, the first time there was a, there was a little gig in... South London, the, the Swan and Stockwell. And I remember I opened for her and she kind of, you know, she had a listen to what I was doing. And all of a sudden then she kind of really took me under her wing, bless her. And we became great friends. And I think like o over the years then she's recorded nine or ten of my songs and just great buddies, you know. Uh -huh. uh, I always really liked her and um, we always had a lot of fun, you know. That's what it's all about, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. She never took me too seriously. So it's just always a good, a good thing, isn't it? Yeah. You, you obviously have uh, a love of guitar. You're holding that like you hold a child. What kind of what kind of guitar is that? It's a, well, this this one tailor, actually is, is, a, is a tailor. I bought this uh, a, a bunch of years ago just for the studio because it it plays really nicely. Not that other people play it really nicely. I play it really badly, but it, it forgives me. And uh, but I suppose predominantly, really, I love old American guitars, which are gills. We were talking about that. Yeah, earlier, yeah. And I love my probably old the, the probably the best handmade guitar now. Maybe I yeah. you know, but I be so. Would it be so cheeky of me to say they've overtaken Martin as a, as a guitar? I think they always had, to be honest. But I think Martin just is a different name. God, I'm going to—I'll never get—I'll <laughs> never get an, an endorsement from Martin, now, will I? But, uh, but your yeah. love of gills came from uh, as far back as Woodstock with uh, the great Richie Havens. Yeah, I mean, um, you, you know, like when we grew up, you know, we were we were quite a rural area, really, a little Hurland parish, and I had discovered music and. Um, I think I discovered the music of my older siblings, really. You know, when they'd go off to college and stuff like that and mm -hmm. they'd bring stuff back maybe at weekends or when they were home or whatever. And I started listening to sort of American-based singer-songwriters, really. Um, I guess Joni Mitchell and James Taylor and Richie Havens and Crosby, Stills and Nash. So I didn't have that sort of traditional um, basis in my music, you know, the Irish traditional. And, and I discovered Richie Havens. And I remember thinking at the time that I felt that he's... His voice was actually coming from Mother Earth when when he sang, and I remember that there was a music shop in Savins. We got to go into Limerick once once a week on a Saturday while Mam was doing her shopping, and and I, I remember going into Savins on on the main street there, and I and I had saved up for a cassette of Richie Havens. And I remember first of all my disappointment when they didn't have it, and then the guy in Savins said, "Look, we'll get it in. It'll take about four weeks," and those four weeks waiting for that uh, cassette to come, and then. Fast forward many, many, many years later, he was, Richie Havens was the artist to sort of give me my first break in America when he recorded Paradise, which is wow. so strange, isn't it? Yeah, and if if you look at the over 16 million hits on YouTube uh, you've had, uh, and, and I'm talking about, you know, you, you've been a songwriter uh, for so many years, but look, it's it's a literal, it, it's a who's who of uh, who's in the music business. Uh, your songs have been recorded by Rascal Flatts, The Backstreet Boys, Lone Star, Jerry Halliwell, 
Ronan Keating, Cliff Richard, Nathan Carter, uh, triple platinum singer-songwriter Marina Kay, Sharon Core, Aslan, we'll get back to Christy in a minute, uh, American Idol's Clay Aiken by Boyzone, uh, Shane Filan, Nicky Byrne, Lulu, uh, Woodstock's legendary Richie Havens himself goes on and on, Blind, Brian Kennedy, and on and on and on. Oh, this is, uh, so it's I'm like a musical jukebox or something. <laughs> what, are the royalties, what, everything else. what are the royalties like? What? Um, I guess, you know, there there was a certain amount of big records in there. Um, to be honest, you know, look, here's the thing. And I, I, I mean, this isn't just an answer that I've, I've got ready for the question. But, you know, songwriting to me has been such a gift. You know, my, my father died when I was quite young. I was 10 and I was with him when he when he passed away at a hurling match. And the world changed. Um, and it became quite a lonely place, even though I was from a bigger family. And then music became this like best friend that I had up in the bedroom listening to stuff that as I said from my older siblings and stuff like that and and then when I discovered how to you know sing or how to play and maybe even write songs it became this other sort of a almost like a a pressure valve that all the kind of emotional stuff that I'd been hanging on to and all of a sudden I was able to write down all that stuff in a song and you know that can that saved my life to be perfectly honest at that stage so um that's that's what really the creation of the song for me like the moment that little moment whether I'm on my own or with somebody else when there wasn't a song and then there's a little song that goes out on its own journey that to me is like very precious and whatever happens the song afterwards for instance if it gets on somebody's record or if they have a hit with it that's like a bonus but it's not it's never going to be the same as the moment that it was created because that's like the magic that's the little bit of um, stuff that you can't mm. really quantify you know what I mean yeah, I remember Ed Sheeran saying uh, you know some of his buddies go out and they get drunk some get off their head some go shout at uh, the referees at football matches or do whatever they have to do uh, yeah. you know to get their head clear and he writes songs that's how I or just say, what does head. he do <laughs> he writes songs <laughs> do you want to give us a bit of music and, and I, I know it's a special song so introduce it for well, us well no it, it's, yeah, well, look, you know, it's just the thing that I, I suppose you know I, sadly in life it's always maybe when you're older if you've moved on from something that you start relating to how special that time was and maybe at the time you weren't sure you know mm-hmm. But one of the things that we did on Sundays was um, we had we went to mass obviously, and uh, we had our lunch earlier, and um, and then the discussion after our lunch was always about where we were going to go on the Sunday drive, and Mam and Dad would ultimately make the decision, and we'd try to sort of influence them in different ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, ironically, there were like different destinations because we had cousins in Perlis and in Kilmallock and all of that, but we always ended up in Killaloo, and. Um, I don't know if you know Kellaloo, Ballina, but it's beautiful, the lake there and all of that. Beautiful, yeah. And mum and dad, I found out then later, they had, um, their little plan was when we all um, grew up and left the nest, that they'd maybe, you know, build a little house down in Kellaloo. Um, And so I used poetic license in the end of this song to bring dad back. And you can do that as a writer, which is amazing. You can can fix the world. Mm. Um, So it's just a song about being in the back of the car. You know, there was 11 of us in that little car. And Dad never had a good car, even though he was a mechanic. They were always terrible cars. I think the one that I remember was a Hillman Avenger. So how do you get 11 kids and two adults into a car? I guess the all the oldest ones sitting in the back seat, the younger ones sitting on their laps, mam in the front, whatever, baby. Wow. Maybe, I don't know, maybe one in the boot. I don't know. Oh, and, the, health, uh, the health and safety officers are tearing their hair out now. I know. So let's, it's just a little song about that. Um... About that. Um. Didn't ever say where we were going. 
We just climbed into the back seat Our eyes wide open to the picture show outside I guess we really didn't understand it all Remember looking up at them in the front row Hands touched together almost out of sight It's been a long hard week but now this slow release Of a Sunday afternoon We were only young and they were trying hard to reach us How was I to know back then this was something so worth keeping? Watching the world through an open window, trees lined up like dominoes. This old car would find a wrong way home. It's the ordinary things that mean so much. That's when I learned it all from them to fight, to love, to laugh again. Man, I thought that we were only wasting time We were out on a Sunday drive The sun warms your soul like an old friend Singing songs along that ribbon of a road And everyone you've ever loved sitting there so close Never thinking that we'd ever get old Now why would we ever get old Why we were watching the world through an open window Trees lined up like dominoes This old car would find a wrong way home It's the ordinary things that mean so much That's when I learned it all from them To fight, to love, to laugh again and Man, I thought that we were only wasting time Cause we were out on a Sunday drive Oh, Sunday drive Now I didn't say where we were going I just helped them to the back seat And my dad just smiled and said, son, don't drive too far Your mama gets pretty tired these days And after a few miles, I guess they recognized some places And I listened as they reminisced About this world that they had always known and how it's changing Probably never gonna be the same again And I caught them in the mirror They were holding hands and smiling Looking younger than they'd been in years Through all those years spent Watching the world through an open window Trees lined up like dominoes This old car would find a wrong way home It's the ordinary things that mean so much And that's when I learned it all from them To find, 
fight to love, to laugh again And man, I thought that we were only wasting time We were out on a Sunday drive On a Sunday drive, my sisters and my brothers. A Sunday drive, and my father and my mother. A Sunday drive. Out on a Sunday drive. John Meskel with Sunday Drive. It's a very simple title, a very emotive song. Of course, that's going to resonate with so many people uh, who can't take those Sunday drives anymore or wish they could go back and take them. Uh, That song resonated as well with country superstar Brett Eldridge, uh, not only who's uh, recording it, uh, but calling his album after it. Yeah, that was that was incredible. Um, you know, sometimes as a songwriter, you kind of worry when you hear that somebody else is covering the song, and you w- wonder and you worry maybe would they understand it? You know, or like it can interpret it. Yeah, I remember Billy Joel like, said that when, when I write a song and I, and I you, you kind of release it, you send it off into the world, mm. and then somebody like Garth Brooks can come along and, and cover one of his songs like Shameless, yeah, and, and just completely transform it, but give it so much energy as well. Well, there you go. And I mean, I have to say, when I heard Brett's when I heard Brett's um, version of Sunday drive I, I, I messaged him I, I thought I was absolutely blown away by it because he obviously could really relate to it and he and he brought such emotion to it mm-hmm. I was absolutely delighted and then obviously thrilled that he called these albums Sunday Drive which is lovely you know um, what a great yeah Delighted. The, the accolades have been hot and heavy, Don. Uh, you're honoured with a Lifetime Achievement Award, also Songwriter of the Year at the ICMAs. Uh, highlights include three number one singles, one with Nathan Carter, another with uh, Jerry Halliwell, ex of the Spice Girls, of course now uh, all over the Formula One world. Yeah, yeah, what, what an exciting world. Uh, and, and Christian, her husband, is one of the most interesting. I love cars. <laughs> yeah. So, so I burn his ear <laughs> any time I remember it's him. It's amazing that, that that show, that Formula One Drive to Survive show, oh my God. apparently has tripled the interest in Formula One. Oh, I Because of this fly on the wall yeah. sort of. Uh, and he's as cool as a cucumber, Christian. Yeah. He's a nice guy. Actually, lovely people. Mm. Um, yeah. Of course, the production side of, of what you do is, is there as well. And, and you know, this album ha- that uh, Christy Dignam has done has been oh, described yeah. as a legacy album. Uh, and, you know, well, I'm not putting him in, you know... Yeah, it's a Johnny Cash did a legacy album yeah. with Rick Rubin, which was, uh, yes. which was you know, what really record. stripped yeah. down. Uh, what, what did Christy want from this album? Did you write the entire thing? I did, actually, yeah. Um, now, you know, that, that the only reason I did, because it was co- it was, <laughs> it was around COVID. So I, I, I live, I, I, I kind of hide in a, I have an old church up in uh, County Cavan, where I live, on the banks of a lake. And um, I, Christy contacted me. And of course, I, my, my, cont- or my initial, um, we'll say, connection with Christy was I had written Too Late for Hallelujah for them all mm-hmm. those years ago. And uh, he he reached out to me, and um, he asked me. I knew he was very ill. Like we weren't weren't great friends or anything, but I knew mm. he was quite ill. And then he said, "Look, I, I always wanted to make a a solo record, and it's sort of on my bucket list. And how can you turn down somebody when they say something like that?" And um, you know, so so we we begun this process of of, of making this record, and. It was only after I agreed to do it then that I felt this huge responsibility because I heard him 
describing it as his legacy record and yeah. I thought jeez I better get this right you know because if I don't what a terrible thing you know for him and, and, and me you know? and was there that you know Rick Rubin works with punk records but was, yeah. was there that Rick Rubin temptation I know he's doing it now with Paul McCartney yeah. uh, to strip things down and get the bare uh, Christy well, I, I think really the temptation with Christy was to be extremely honest and, and clear about where he comes from and what you know he, he's past because I think that's, isn't that, you know, what I've always found with artists is when they sing songs that are written by other people or any records that I've produced over the years, that if they're singing a song that they really feel part of or they've they've felt that emotion or that's them, you know. Because mm-hmm. Chris used to, you know, he, he used to make me laugh, you know. He, he used to say, he, he said it to me a couple of times, um, he said, how did you get into me fucking head? How did you get in there? <laughs> And I used to say to him, listen, I got in there, but I said I had to look around and there was some stuff in there. When I opened those boxes, I closed them again, you know. But but yeah, it was a case of me delving into sort of his his sort of reality. And then I was very, very careful with the song choice and, and writing songs that I felt were very applicable to him as a as an artist, you know. I've got the man who stayed alive here. Do you want me to play it by Christy or do you want to do it yourself? Oh no, let's hear Christy singing it. I mean, uh, I'll tell you a funny story after after you play it. All right, okay. Uh, Tom Haskell written from. and produced Christy Dignam from as Christy uh, self-titled my legacy album, The Man Who Stayed Alive. People came to see me self-destruct on stage. For the circus and the masquerade Come a little closer, see what you might find Stepping from the shadows of man who
That's Christy Dignam, the man who stayed alive, written and produced by uh, my guest in studio, Don Meskel. What's the backstory to that song? It's uh, well, yeah. Well, you know what? It was a, it was an interesting conversation that I was having with Christy one night, very very late. Um, and he he actually said to me, "Just give me the kind of what? Where did this come from?" And I said, "Well, look, uh, many years ago, I had been invited over by um, some people because they were having a char, uh, you know, a, a fundraiser gig for Christie in the Olympia." Um, and I was still living in the UK and I remember singing Too Late for Hallelujah with Mary Black and then I sung a, a song with Kira, Christie's daughter mm-hmm. a song called Catch Your Fall that I had done with Aslan but afterwards, anyway, I better not mention his name but afterwards um, there was a journalist backstage um, quite a well known music journalist so I'm sure you know and I just said to him, he said look I really enjoy that and I said oh thanks a million and I said look if you don't mind me asking because I kind of don't live here how ill is Christie? and he said well he said I have the obituary written Oh my God! And I thought, oh, sweet Jesus! So that's where the idea, even in the line in the song, the obituary written for the man who's dead alive, because mm. I wanted it to be a joyous moment where Christy goes, "I am the man who's dead alive." Yeah, brilliant. So yeah, so that's where that came from. Anyway, to current things and uh, current endeavors, you're yes. coming to Cork for for, for a gig, oh. and that is going to be in a fabulous venue. Tell us all about that. I cannot wait. I've actually never been there, um, and it's in the Sea Church in Ballycotton, and it's on the 29th. I'm sure I have that right, don't I? 29. I think so. 29th. Uh, is it, or is it the 28th? Uh, I don't have it in front of me. Oh, you don't have it in front of you? It's, it's we a will Sunday. Confirm. It's a Sunday. Uh, okay, let me look at my diary. Would you look at the diary? And uh, I, uh, maybe it's the 28th. And then I'm in Dublin on the 29th. We'll be killed. Um, we will. Sunday is the 29th. We were right. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Sunday so, the 29th. So, Sea Church, so, Ballancon. No, so it's Saturday the 28th. Ballycotton. Saturday the 28th. Saturday the 28th. Ballycotton. There it is. Yes. In Ballycotton, the Sea Church. Um, I believe it's a wonderful place and I'm really looking forward to it. And this will be my first time playing really in, in, um, in uh, I think the last proper gig uh, we did was... Believe it or not, I think it was Trafalgar Square. We we St Patrick's Day, whatever. You know, before mm-hmm. COVID. Wow, okay. we headlined that gig. To yeah, I was talking yeah. to Declan O'Rourke yesterday, and uh, uh, he did a gig in Dolan's Warehouse. I, you know, I, I just thought it was impeccable. Yes, uh, and then you have the likes of Ed Sheeran, who said the best venue in the world is Vicker Street. He actually said that. Oh, wow. uh, but the two two venues in Cork, uh, now, now that the lobby is gone, Sea Church and Ballancolic. Oh, the lobby. Uh, and uh, St. Yeah. Luke's. The St. Luke's So we've Church. got two tickets, have we? Um, we have two tickets. Well, you have. Thank you. Yes. Oh, you're so welcome. I, I believe there might be the last two tickets. Pick a number. If, if caller I, number what? Hmm? Caller number what? Pick oh, a number. Caller number. Um, caller number. Like a number between one and... One and whatever. Ten. Yeah, don't have them uh, here all day. Nine. Caller 185. No, caller nine then. Okay. And the number is 0818-104-106. Fair play to you. Fair play to Christy. It takes uh, kahunas to, uh, to even attempt to uh, record a Pink Floyd song like he did and made it his own. With Wish You Were Here. There you uh, go. N- n- you know, not, ex- ex- no other band would dare well, that's to. That's getting yeah. back to what we were saying. There's only a few artists, I think, that can interpret songs really well. And, and I have to say, so that's, The Man Who Started Live is the current single from that record. And um, the vinyl has just come out. And uh, yeah, I, I, you know what? I, I, I think it's a, pretty happy with it to be honest I would have liked to get another song out of you but time's against us we had one from Christy we had one from you and we had a great chat Don we did have a great I kind of had such a great time thank you for coming in thank you so Uh, much and it's the 28th we have uh, those two tickets up on 0818 104 106 singer songwriter uh, producer and all round nice guy Don Meskel thanks for coming in talk to Neil Prenderville now 0818 104 106 Cork's Red FM
And it's now four and a half minutes to 12 midday. Uh, good morning from the Neil Prendeville Show. What a delight and a pleasure uh, to talk to somebody who is the master of his craft and uh, and so engaging uh, and so loving of the musical subject uh, in which he makes his living. And that was the wonderful Don Meskel. First time meeting, first time interviewing. I really enjoy that as well. Paddy Callanan is also in charge of his craft. Good morning, Paddy. Morning, how are things? Very good. Um, you're in Dunbeacon Lamping in Doris in West Cork. Uh, and it's a bit of a story here because you were working hard, I believe, uh, and then one day went off glamping and saw whoever putting 20 euros or 20 poons into their pocket with a smile on their face and a relaxed demeanour. And you said, you know something, this might suit me. That's right, yeah. Um, I was uh, I was down in West Cork, uh, the campsite that I frequented, like, you know, and uh, there was a Land Rover on and there was a man going around, seemed surrounded by Land Rovers, sunny skies, and just seemed very happy, like, you know. And um, I said, God, I wouldn't mind some of that, like, you know. So uh, we that started the journey, like, you know, where we were trying to buy that campsite, but it didn't work out, like, you know. But I think it was for the better, like, because we ended up here in Dunbeacon, like, you know, and... Uh, yeah, since then we've just been we've been building away like mad, like you know we've we've five teepees up a rooftop tent, like you know. And uh, what's the appeal of glamping, day? Paddy? What, what you know for those who would rather stay in a hotel and don't want to go back to uh, you know staying in a tent as we were. This is kind of different. Yeah, it's very different, like you know. So like our teepees are twenty foot in diameter and about twenty foot tall, like you know. And they have kind of a kitchen, double single beds, power, heating. They have they have a king size bed in it, two singles, and uh, there's power carpets. It's the lap of luxury, to be honest with you. Like you know, yeah, it's really nice. Like you know, yeah. And you're outside in the nature, like you know, but you're still sleeping in a in a in a king size bed, like you know. So it's you've got the best of both worlds. Okay, and uh, I, I I haven't driven past Doris for many. If I go to Crookhaven, it's normally on the water. Uh, but if I was driving to Crookhaven, of course, I'd pass through Doris. And if I remember correctly, Dunbeacon on the way out there is kind of about fifteen kilometres from everything, isn't it? It is, yeah. So we're we're fifteen we're fifteen minutes from um, Bantry. We're fifteen minutes from Skull. We're fifteen minutes from Ballydahab. We're right in the middle of the Golden Triangle. Like, yeah. Okay, so, so if you have a driver and, and you know you want you want to go and have a meal and a couple of glasses of wine. Uh, all of that is at, is at your doorstep. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, so um, yeah, we have uh, we have Blair's Cove, which is a fantastic restaurant, just two minutes down the road from us. Like you know, and then there's all the eateries and and uh, the, the the pubs of West Cork on our doorstep. Okay, you have five teepees at the moment. What's the average cost? Uh, during the week, it's a hundred euros per night, and then at the weekend, it's a hundred and twenty-five. That's reasonable enough, and that'll sleep how many people? So you'll get four people into each teepee, but if you have more in your party, we can put down uh, a blow-up bed. And uh, we've had six inside in the teepee one night, but, you know. Okay. And, of and course, it's still the same price, no matter how many people go into it. All right, okay. And, and, of course, this is an organic business. This is something you can start with one teepee and build it up to 50 teepees if you want. Yeah, well, like, you know, we started with five. We brought the teepees in from America. Uh, the same I, I'm probably giving my age away here now a little bit like you know but you remember the film Dances with Wolves yes uh, so the same company that built the teepees for Dances with Wolves built our teepees like you know oh now, wow yeah so now our teepees are the campground model like you know so that we're cheating a little bit in that we have like you know little bits of velcro and uh, and a zipper to open up 
um, and they're not made of buffalo hide. Like, you know, yeah, well, we're, we're always happy, Paddy, to to give a new business uh, a bit of a jizz up and uh, you know a bit of publicity on the Neil Prenderville show, especially one that's born out of the pandemic. How can people find you, get in touch with you, and get to you? Okay, so we're we're down at the end of the line. If you're heading for the mizzen head, you 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 you'll probably pass us, like you know. Okay. Uh, we have a website, dunbeaconcampsite.ie, and uh, there's a there, all of our contact details are on that. Like, all right, know? Paddy, so, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Best of luck with the business. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thanks, bye-bye. And final business of the day, Brida O'Leary from near Glenville has won the Don Meskel tickets for the gig at Sea Church in Ballancolic on the 28th of May. Thanks to uh, Kevin and to Seamus and to Claire for producing the programme this morning. This is Mick Mulcahy back in the morning uh, when uh, we'll be with you just after the 9 o'clock news. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.